This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go on a Thursday edition of the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show, you out there. Uh, Thursday had the Phils get swept yesterday. We'll get into that. They'll play the Padres tonight, late night, San Diego. Not a good situation after getting swept in Texas. Not feeling all that good about where the Phils are right now. I'll tell you why coming up. Also, NBA draft is tonight. The Sixers own the 23rd pick. I would imagine they're not going to make that pick. Picks are already being moved. The Lakers have made a trade. Uh, Portland made a trade last night. Other teams have already traded picks this afternoon. Nothing major yet. Although the trade that Portland made last night, I wouldn't say it was major, but I would certainly put in the, okay, we can discuss category. Uh, we got NBA draft tonight, which could really result in a change in the Sixers as we know it. You know, this is way different from the Sixers years of when we were in the draft and we would be all excited today. We were having draft parties and the Sixers were getting ready, you know, to take uh, whoever was number one, Ben Simmons or Markel Foltz or uh, obviously Joel Embiid. They got it number three or they had multiple first round picks. They took Michael Carter, Williams, Nerlens, Noel. Actually, the year they took Embiid. They ended up getting uh, Dario Saric in that uh, trade with uh, Orlando when they traded Alfred Payton, uh, Jaleel Okafor. So we have been through the highs and lows of the NBA draft. This year, we are not waiting with bated breath on who they will take at number 23, but we are anxiously awaiting what Daryl Morey may in fact do on draft night. So 609 403 0973 uh, Give us some thoughts on what you'd like to see happen with the Sixers tonight as they uh, really look to reshape the roster. I mean, this is the first day that you can really make your off-season push. This is the first day that you can really change the complexion of your team for the upcoming season. Free agency starts next Thursday. The draft is tonight, which means... You can make that blockbuster trade. You can make it happen tonight, Daryl Morey. So what will Daryl Morey do? What is up his sleeves, if you will? I'm highly intrigued at what he might have to do to make something happen, right? Something, does he have to uh, give up pick 23 in a player? Possibly. Does he have to, or can he? Move Tobias Harris? Eh. We felt that that was unlikely entering this offseason. We also thought it was unlikely to move Al Horford a couple of years ago, right? And when he moved Al Horford, that's when we said, all right, this guy's not fooling around, right? He's got a bad contract who doesn't fit. You know, Horford is still on that contract. He's played in Philly on that contract. He's played in Oklahoma City on that contract, and now he's back to Boston on that contract. But it was July 10th, 2019, when Horford signed with the Sixers. On December 8th, 2020, 
He was traded to Oklahoma City. And remember, he gets traded to Oklahoma City. And basically, uh, we all thought his career was over, right? We thought he was going to kind of languish in Oklahoma City. And he looked like a guy who was at the end of the road. Who the heck would want to take that contract from the Sixers? Well, Maury found a partner to take that contract with a lot of years and a lot of money left on it still. And now we've, of course, found out that Horford can still play a little bit. I mean, he was excellent in game one of the NBA Finals. He wasn't all that good the rest of the uh, uh, the Finals. But you got to go back to that trade that Daryl Morey made and say, all right, can, um, can Daryl Morey make the kind of trade that he pulled off for Al Horford? I think that is... You know, when you look at his biggest trades, you go back to that trade of Al Horford, and that's really one that's similar to this situation because of the amount of money on the contract that's still left for Tobias Harris. So we'll start with Harris and the possibility of trading him. Like most people would look at right now, all right, how possible is it to trade Tobias Harris? I think most people think it's not possible at all. But in the end, how many people went into that offseason with the Philadelphia 76ers thinking that they could trade Al Horford? Well, they got it done. He came in. Remember, Daryl Morey got to Philadelphia on November 2nd, 2020. He got right to work. Now, if you remember, the timeline of things are a little wonky here because the draft was in November that year because of the COVID situation. So the draft night was November. And then right after the draft, November 18th was the draft. December 8th is when Maury was able to trade Al Horford a couple of basketballs and a 2025 first-round pick to Oklahoma City. And they got back in that deal, guys like Terrence Ferguson, uh, Vincent Poirier, uh, Danny Green was a big part of that trade. And then the Sixers got back their own first-round pick in 2025, which is top six protected. And they also got a trade exception from Oklahoma City. So Oklahoma City took on the Horford contract and gave the Sixers a bunch of stuff. Danny Green was a part of it. And we were like, how the heck? Did he pull off a trade to get rid of Al Horford? Well, later on, if you remember, he was able to also move in another deal. He was able to move um, Josh Richardson, and that was the deal that they got back Seth Curry. So a couple of deals that he came in with guys that we really didn't think that he would be able to move that they have been able to do. And that Josh Richardson trade, by the way, was on draft night when they traded Josh Richardson for Seth Curry and the Sixers got a trade exception in the deal as well. That was the kind of deal where Josh Richardson didn't fit here. And you were like, ah, he doesn't really fit. And they end up getting a shooter. So tonight could be a night where the unexpected happens. Tonight could be a night where you end up tomorrow saying, whoa, this team looks a lot different. Do we think that's the way this is all going to go down? 
you let me know. 609-403-0973 on the text board. 609-403-0973. I'm going to give it a 50-50 possibility tonight that Tobias Harris isn't here tomorrow. You might be like, wait, what? I just have a feeling that Maury sees bigger than what the Sixers are right now. Like, I think he looks at this team and says, we got a good team. And sometimes, you know, we're all guilty of doing this. We compare what we have to the best of what we had. And what do I mean by that? Well, the best of what Daryl Morey had was those Rockets teams. And that's the best that he ever had. So does he look at this Sixers team and say, we're right there with those Rockets teams. I just need to get there and just a little bit better. And does he look at Tobias Harris and say, yep, he's a guy that puts us over the top. When I look at this roster right now, who's the guy that has some value as a player, but has a contract that's tough to move? It's obviously Tobias Harris. But I think Maury can find the right team willing to take on the salary. You know, there's a lot of teams that would fit this bill what do I mean by fitting the bill? This is the kind of team I think Tobias Harris makes sense for. It's a team that is kind of a competitive team. They want to take a shot. They want to show their fans that they're taking a shot. And they're willing to take the shot with the return being... Next year, we'll have the contract that we can unload, right? We have the Tobias Harris expiring contract, and that becomes a trade asset. So we'll take a shot for the year to see if this guy can help us out. Now, without really knowing, you know, if there's players on certain teams in terms of uh, making the money work, and I'm sure you might need some three-team deals and yada, 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 what kind of teams make sense in that vein? Well, I think one of them... Could be a team like, you know, Dallas. Dallas is a team that was the four seed. Dallas is a team that really doesn't have that player next to Luka. And I'm not saying that Tobias Harris is going to go there and be their number two guy. But he gives them a legitimate, you know, 18, 19 point a game score. His defense was much better. Maybe Dallas is, you know what, we take a guy like that on. He gives us a veteran score. We take a shot. Because how else is Dallas getting better? When you're one of those teams that's kind of stuck there, you got to figure out how am I going to... Now, again, I'm not saying this is a smart move by Dallas, but you never know what these teams are thinking. Could a team like Minnesota, who was in the play-in game this past year, and they won that game and they get into the playoffs, could they feel like, hey, man, if we get a veteran scorer to pair up with Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards... Could that be somebody that gives us that third score who can get 18 points a game and, you know, something like that? And then, hey, if it doesn't work out, we have the expiring contract and we'll just trade them next year. So, in other words, you're, these teams would be willing to take on the one year almost. It's almost like they have a one-year deal and then they can bring them back the following year and then try to trade the expiring contract. That's when he becomes the asset for the other team, right? So for me, as I look at this draft tonight, pick 23, I think the biggest name for Sixers fans to watch tonight is Tobias Harris. And I know a lot of people are looking at 23, and I know a lot of people are. I wouldn't even be surprised if Daryl Morey 
right? I wouldn't even be surprised if Daryl Morey included 23 with Harris just to move on from the contract and get a different look in here. Would that surprise anybody out there? Would you do that? Because a lot of people, I think, are throwing in, hey, 23 and Thibel. And one of the reasons is because you're so down on Thibel because he doesn't shoot very well. You know, we are such an offensive-minded society. We don't care that Ben Simmons was the defensive player of the year runner-up. He stinks. So we have a similar mindset when it comes to Tobias Harris, right? We don't care that he's second-team All-NBA defense. He stinks. Why? Because he can't shoot. So therefore, he provides no value for Sixer fans. So most people are willing to do 23 and Thibel, and they're willing to take back a bag of basketballs in return just because you're so over Thibel. Most people are ready to move on from Danny Green. You know, oh, he's old, he doesn't provide enough, even though he's one of the best corner three-point shooters in the game and basically kept you in a bunch of games by hitting, what, four threes in a game one night against the Miami Heat before he ended up getting hurt. We have in our minds sometimes we're ready to move on no matter what. I'm not saying Danny Green. I mean, he's a $10 million a player who's out right now. So if you can move his contract, you got to do it. But don't be surprised if tonight the trade that ends up happening is the one you least expect. Right? Don't be surprised tonight if the trade that ends up happening is for the name that you think can't get moved. And don't be surprised tonight if Daryl Morey is able to pull it off. Now, you might say, well, what suggests from the past that he can do such a thing? Well, Al Horford, right? The Al Horford trade is a trade that not many people thought that Daryl Morey could pull off. The Al Horford deal is the deal that you look back to. And say, huh, how were they able to do that? How did they get rid of a guy who seemingly had no value and made way too much money? Well, I don't ask questions. I just look at the results. And he was able to do it. And it's not the only time on draft night that he was able to do something. Now, all these trades might not push your pile. But he has made trades in the past on draft night that were meant to better their team. The Houston Rockets at the time. You know, you can look back at a bunch of different deals and say, wow, they seem to be active on that night. They seem to be a team. Um, You go back to 2011 when they took Chandler Parsons in that trade. Um they got Marcus Morris that night on the, uh, they traded, um, Parsons to Minnesota. He was constantly moving guys on draft night to try to free up cap space, do things so that he can make some signings, make things happen. And of course, the big trade that he made was the James Harden deal. That's kind of his signature move, uh, with Houston. And he's got other deals like that, you know, that you can look up and down the ledger of moves that they made. Uh, By the way, that Harden deal, which was really his first big one when he went to um, 
when he went to Houston, right? Harden was in uh, Oklahoma City. And James Harden was the, the move that really, you know, that whole thing in Oklahoma City happened. And they didn't want to pay James Harden. So he calls up, swoops in. And I think it was, do you remember who was a part of that trade? This was just going back away. Is it 2012? I know Kevin Martin was in that trade. But I don't remember who else was. Yeah, was Jeremy Lamb, Kevin Martin, a first-round pick that ended up being Steven Adams. Okay. A second-round pick, a 2014 first-round pick, which ended up being Mitch McGarry, not Mike <laughs> McGarry. <laughs> Mitch McGarry is from Michigan, right? And that was, yes, to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And in return, they took, they received Cole Aldrich, Daquan Cook, James Harden, and Lazar Hayward. So we didn't give up a whole heck of a lot to get James Harden. Because we all remember Lazar Hayward. Right. I mean, they did give up, look, a f- two first-round picks. Steven Adams has turned into a pretty good player. but Oh, definitely, yeah. Jeremy Lamb, kind of a journeyman shooter. Kevin Martin had a little bit of a run. Yeah, Kevin Martin was a nice scorer. I remember he started in Sacramento before he got to Houston. And he, for a couple of years, was a, was a nice little compliment to Durant and Westbrook. But, you know, he was he was just that, a nice compliment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 609-403-0973, Ryan and EHT. What does a return for Harris look like? If I'm getting rid of him, I'm looking for smaller pieces uh, to shore up the bench, adding a 4-5 starting guy and also allow to clear some space. What do you think? It's a good question, Ryan. What does a return for Harris look like? Um, I wouldn't be excited about the return. Right? Yeah, you can't get your hopes up. You can't, like... Part you, of got the- rid of, you, you got rid of Al Horford. You got back Danny Green. Right. You're not excited about Danny Green, but... You got a piece that helped you out for the last two seasons for giving getting out of uh, Horford's contract. Yeah, the one of the things that has to be done in these conversations, and I know that people when I talk about this on game night, you know, get annoyed with me. But I said, you know, we got to temper the expectations. Yeah, it's not like you're trading Tobias Harris to get back a player that is going to score twenty points a game. Right, you're not you're, you're getting not rid of Tobias, Harris. You're not hearing Harris for like Bradley Beal. No, you're trading Tobias Harris to give yourself more flexibility. You're trading Tobias Harris for the opportunity to get out from under the contract. Now, if you got a player back in return, let's say you, you know, for instance, you know Jay Crowder, who is uh, out in Phoenix, and they're looking to trade him. You might get a return like that. That's not going to be a guy that you're all that excited about, but he certainly could help your team out in terms of he has a role that he fills. It's not scoring, but it adds a little toughness. And if you've got a player like that in return, then maybe you don't have to spend three years, $30 million on P.J. Tucker. And by the way, you mentioned Minnesota. You know, we've tongue-in-cheek talked about Pat Beverly and his love for James Harden. Yeah. You know, there's a possibility. What if you traded Harris to Minnesota for Patrick Beverly, now, Malik Beasley, and some future draft pick. Keep in mind, the one thing in the NBA that would have to happen if you trade Tobias Harris, you have to get similar, you have to get salary back in return. So you would be adding all sorts of pieces to come back on that deal. Sure. But the, the point is, is that you mentioned it earlier. Daryl Morey has gotten creative in the past. And you got to let him do his creative thing if you're going to have any hope of 
evolving this team past a second-round finisher. Uh, Mike, what would be your worst-case scenario for the Sixers lineup roster for next season? The reason I'm asking is because I don't see many moves the Sixers can make, so I believe what they're going to do this offseason will be underwhelming. Also, what do you want the Sixers to do? Uh, what would Mike try to do as the GM? That's from Cole and LBI. All right, there's a lot there. Number one, my worst-case scenario is that you come back with the same roster. I mean, you can't do that. I mean, that's the worst-case scenario. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry, right? That's unacceptable. Right? I'm not uh, splitting the atom here. If you come back with the same roster, in other words, you you just say, let's run it back with this team, you, you're you not good enough. And you're also telling the fan base, don't care about us till the playoffs. And he says, that's another good point. He says, I don't see many moves the Sixers can make. I agree on the surface, except for the guy who's the GM. That's why he's here. Is because he makes moves you don't see happening. Trading Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. Trading Al Horford and getting back Danny Green. Curry and Green became a guys, two guys. Look, the Sixers, like it or not, they were the number one seed last year. Right? Not this past season. The last season. Right. They were the number one seed. With Ben Simmons. With two players, Green and Curry, that were acquired in trades from Daryl Morey. So Morey made a trade, two trades when he got here, and those two players helped you become the number one seed. Now, what do I, what Cole wants to know, what do I want the Sixers to do? I don't know that I have that answer in my head at this particular moment, maybe as we talk through this show a little bit. So, you know, hope you, Cole, you, you know, you keep listening, and I think you do. You know, you listen a lot, you text a lot, and I appreciate that as always. What do I want them to do? I want them to improve the roster. How? I don't know. It's just trading Tobias Harris just to get out from under his contract. What does that free up for me? I, 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 you know, a lot of these things. We'll talk to Keith Smith about it. You know, what would, he's a cap guy. You know, Keith's a guy, spottrack.com. You know, he covers the NBA. He's covered the NBA for a long time, but his specialty in covering the NBA is salary cap stuff. You know, so what would that help the Sixers do if they were able to trade? Tobias Harris. We'll talk to Keith coming up. Hey, when we come back, our Flyers insider Kevin Durso is going to join me. There was a controversial finish to the Stanley Cup final last night. And I know Durso has thoughts on it. And I think it was a pretty clear blown call. Well, we'll see what Durso thinks. That's next here on the Sports Bash Live. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, which you can take to the beach, take on the bike path, take while walking your dog, take the sports bash wherever you go. And don't forget, if you have the app, you can win Gill's Grill. We'll be giving that away on Friday. Tomorrow at 5 o'clock, I'm going to announce the winning name to win Gill's Grill. The winner gets a free grill. Simple as that. Go to our website, 97.3 ESPN.com. Get the app. Fill out the form. If I call your name, free grill. Gill's Grill, my grill, could be your grill. Just for listening on the app, 973ESPN.com slash app. Now, back to the sports ESPN. Tampa Bay so tired, now they're scrambling to try and make a change. Find a change, they stretch it ahead to Canary, who comes in and oh, what a save by Vasilevsky. He 
took a peek over his shoulder. I think it's in the net. Yeah, they're ruling this is a goal. I think it's in the net. Yeah, Vasilevsky took a peek, and maybe that's why. I thought Kadri might have snuck it through him, but it was underneath him, and they cascade over the boards off the Colorado bench and celebrate an apparent game-winning goal at 12.02 of overtime. That's the call last night here on 97.3 ESPN. John Ayers on the call. Ayers on the call, excuse me. Uh, and uh, that was how they had it on the radio last night. The TV call wasn't much better uh, from Sean McDonough and the ESPN crew because... Nobody had any clue that the goal went in. It was very reminiscent of the Flyers losing the Stanley Cup. In fact, there's some stories out there that Patrick Kane's phone was blowing up last night. Uh, let's bring in Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider. Controversial call or not, Kevin Durso? It, it, it is, but not for the reason that you're talking about. That's the thing. So, yeah, first of all, mass confusion on the ice in that moment because – Nobody really knew that it went in. I was watching the reaction of Vasilevsky, the goaltender there. He looked like he had it. I kind of thought maybe it went by him off the end boards and came back for a second, just the way he reacted. And everybody skated by the net without having a reaction. Even Nazem Kadri, the goal scorer, said post game, I didn't know it went in. <laughs> it went in the net. So crazy confusion there. But it wasn't until but maybe. But oddly though, Kevin, on the replay, it was mm-hmm. clear that it went in. Yes. So as you're saying, it, 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 I don't know why that nobody knew that the, the goal went in. I can understand the confusion afterwards, which you're about to get to, but mm-hmm. it was clear that the puck went in the net. Yeah, I, I think it's just, the, I think it was just the speed at which the play happened in the middle of a line change like that, where everybody, there's so many moving parts to that, that when it goes in like that and there's no immediate, I mean, there's no net reaction, the, the puck doesn't come back down from where it's lodged. So everybody kind of, just goes with it and i think everybody reacted to the fact that vasilevsky looked like he had it and that was what everybody focused on and all all of a sudden you got a couple people pointing to the top part of the net saying no 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 it's right here it's lodged in the net it's it's a goal so it was that was the easy part to figure out afterwards and it was as clear cut as anything but it's it's the part that led up to that that really became the controversy and we didn't really know much about it for several minutes after the game to be honest right so real quick you heard the radio call and obviously confusion on the radio call. You know, they, they did not know that the goal went in. Let's take a listen to the television call. This is Sean McDonough on ESPN last night. Counterattack. It's Padre back in action, denied by Vasilevsky. Oh, what a play! Colorado, or Colorado thinks this is in. I think it is in. We are looking for the signal from the officials. They're going to Take a look at the replay for sure. They think they have won the game, and Vasilevsky is not arguing. Oh. All right, so that's Ray Ferraro, the analyst, and he says, what a play, uh, because McDonough says, oh, a save by Vasilevsky. Now, I don't know how he didn't see that the puck went over Vasilevsky's shoulder and into the net, but fine. He thinks Vasilevsky actually makes the save, which adds to the confusion of the way this game kind of ended. There's two elements for me that make this whole thing make a lot of sense on on that particular call. Because Sean McDonough is upstairs in a booth, and Ray Ferraro is ice level. So Ray Ferraro's got about as good of a view as anybody to see it go into the net. Whereas from up top, you're more or less reacting to, if it happened that quickly without any sort of rebound or anything like that, it doesn't bounce out of the top of the net, then you don't really have a sense of where it is in that moment. You kind of start looking at the goaltender. You know, the official, you know, I, I, the tweet that I put out there after all of it happened, it was actually, I quote, it quoted 
and the uh, Doc Emmerich call from Patrick Kane's goal, which is we saw no light, we saw no signal. Goal light doesn't go on. Wes McCauley is the, is the referee there. He doesn't make a signal immediately, so you kind of start to assume the goaltender has it. And it wasn't really until Ferraro started to talk about it and, and reacted the way he did. At first, honestly, when he got that excited and goes, what a play, I thought he was talking about by Vasilevsky because it would have been an incredible save that kept overtime going. But no, it actually is in, in reference to a really great goal that Nazem Kadri scored to attack a tired defense there, knowing the way that Tampa was. That team was out of gas at that point in the overtime. He attacks the net, gets around the defenseman there, and and just goes in and, and lifts it t- to that side of the uh, of the uh, net that has troubled Vasilevsky the entire playoffs to this point. It's another blocker side goal for him, and it go he gets a little bit of it, but it goes up at that point and gets lodged in the net. So it, it was as confusing as it was. I hope it doesn't overshadow what a great goal it actually was. Okay, so it's confusing. People listening are saying, well, the puck went in the net. Why are people so confused? The confusion comes after the game is over, not Mm -hmm. even in that moment. What happens? So really nobody talked about it until John Cooper's press availability because he didn't really speak much. He came in, took a question. John Cooper is the... Tampa the Tampa coach. Bay Lightning head coach. And he you take it for granted, his- Dur, so that everybody in the audience knows these names are <laughs> dropping at us. That's true. Um, <laughs> so he addressed and he basically says, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure how I'm going to talk about this. He was that kind of broken up about it, really broken up for his players because he felt like they should still be playing. And, address- and he said, you'll see what I mean when you see the video. Well, that, that's kind of a cryptic answer until we started to break it down. And me being the type of person that I am, and this is, you know, hopefully this is why you guys have me on on a regular basis. I then spent like 25 minutes trying to watch the footage of where is this supposed too many men on the ice call that was missed. And reality is, is that in the moment when you're watching it from a television broadcast and even ESPN Plus is doing what they're calling the ice cast, which is kind of an overhead shot permanently. You still don't see the bench. So there was no easy way to see it. And finally, maybe an hour or so after the game was over, they had a look on Sports Center, And there was a, another shot that got tweeted out that shows the Avalanche bench celebrating the goal. But it got it moments before as the line change happened. And to kind of break it down even further, you know, the interesting part about this line change is we think of line changes kind of as rapid fire, all five guys at once or maybe the whole forward group. I went back and watched the full minute before the goal was scored. So the goal was it one the radio call said 12:02 was when the goal was scored. I watched the full minute before that and every player on the ice for Colorado changed with at least 25 seconds before the goal was scored except for the McKinnon Kadri trade-off that results in the goal. And you know, the two camera angles, the one that was shown on SportsCenter and the one that I tweeted out after the game very clearly show Kadri's on the ice. You don't see McKinnon in the shot. There's a five-foot buffer that from the bench that you get according to the rule book where once the player coming off enters that buffer zone, okay, you're legally allowed to jump on the ice at that point. And, you know, we don't see Nathan McKinnon in, in the shot. And Kadri's on the ice. And I wrote down the rule that kind of – the language in the rule that really kind of makes it clear cut. As soon as the player's two skates entering the uh, – the player entering the ice has two skates on the ice, he's considered on the ice – and that player coming off needs to be within five feet, and he wasn't. So it is a missed call. So in your view, Kevin Durso, that goal should have been disallowed. Not necessarily disallowed. There should It should have never happened. There should have just been a call right then and there. And, and that's kind of where some of the gray area comes into it because it is a judgment call by the officials. It's one of those things where, you know, and I'll compare it to maybe in the NFL, 
you know, if you have something where you sit there and you go, hey, listen, there's a legal formation on this player, or you think a player jumped on a false start, that's not something that a coach can then go back and say, let's review that because I saw it later. They don't so get the Tampa luxury of could, reviewing a penalty. So your point is, and, and this is a good point to bring up here, because Cooper's saying, you know, he's almost distraught about this, mm-hmm. but it's not something that in the moment he could have challenged. Like if, hey, th- that guy was off early, we want to challenge the goal. You can't challenge that goal? Nope, you cannot challenge that. They're gonna have to do something about that. Well, and and this is where uh, this is where it gets a little sketchy because the fact that you do you run can into challenge you real quick you can yeah. challenge if the guy's off sides. Yes, you can challenge right. if he's off sides. And there were a lot of people, kind of you know I don't know where people were getting this notion from, but there were a lot of tweets in response to the pictures going take a closer look. Kadri's clearly offside. It's not even close. It's an onside play by a mile. Right, it, but my, yeah, I'm just making it clear that you can challenge to see if the, he yeah. went offside, not challenge to see if he was on the ice before the guy got off in the buffer zone. Not only what that, karma even, this is for Tampa, though, because the Islanders last year, didn't they yes. get screwed by something like this? It was worse than this because <laughs> Barry Trotz was coaching the Islanders. Right. And that's the team they were playing. And he was seen very clearly on camera saying it's seven guys on the ice <laughs> on the goal. Seven guys. Like, how do you miss that? This is only this would be six at this point. It's only one player changing for one player. So it's not a mass chaos change and there's a lot of people who try to point out the tampa bench as well it's not the same thing on tampa's change there tampa is doing it within that five foot zone there so there's not, nothing to see there it it does happen so quickly that it's that's why it's a judgment call and i don't know how they're going to correct this without making everything in the game reviewable it would just make every you know everyone would question everything you know so it, it but it's going to be a thing for discussion this just kind of goes back to you know there was a playoff game not many years ago where a hand pass was missed and a game-winning goal was scored and they went back and determined you know what no now you can challenge missed stoppages that lead to a goal if Mm -hmm. you think that that directly led to the goal maybe we see something come into discussion maybe we don't but you know it certainly had an effect on this game in a big way and it's why colorado is up three to one now as opposed to i mean colorado was dominating that overtime anyway to that point so it looked like it was going to end sooner or later in their favor but certainly you know It couldn't have been the shift before when Nathan McKinnon is, you know, looking like he's going to fire one home from the slot or something like that. It had to come with a little bit of controversy. Right. And obviously, so the controversy comes at Kadri, who, by the way, was this his first game of the series, right? He just got back. He had had a thumb problem. He had thumb surgery, actually. He missed 18 days. So this was his first game in a long time. And, yeah, you know, it was funny. I. One of those things, sometimes I put something down, I start the tweet, and I don't send it. I should have sent this last night because I said, I just have a feeling one of these banged-up guys is going to be the hero tonight. Like like a Kadri, Kucherov was battling something you know, from the previous game. Like Somebody like that's going to score this goal. And sure enough, it turned out to be Nazem Kadri. Right. Well, uh, so basically to kind of summarize what happened, the game goes to overtime. The series is uh, in peril for Tampa. They need this game. They're down two games to one. And this goal, which you're saying probably should never have happened, ends up now putting them down three games to one. And uh, now the series goes back to Colorado, where Tampa's already lost twice and did not look good in the second game out there. So um, that was a huge moment in what has been, you know, two overtime games and two blowout games. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's fu- it's funny that it ended this way, this particular game, because it was for me, it was the best game of the series to this point, the closest you know, you watched Colorado got dominated in the first 20 minutes. Tampa was all over them, and then Colorado pushed back. There was a lot of back and forth over the course of the final 40 of regulation. And then overtime, Colorado found another gear. And 
It was just incredible to watch. It's that good back and forth stuff. It, as much as Colorado was dominating, you never take for granted that one crazy play going the other way can win a game and in an overtime in the playoffs. And you can't take it for granted Tampa Bay's experience over the last two years either. So it's an interesting situation for them. And certainly that's probably about as distraught as we've seen Tampa in terms of the way, especially John Cooper, Tampa's coach at this point, seeing the way that they've reacted to this. It's This is going to well, be a hard one for them to come back from. That being said... The play itself didn't really impact the goal, did it? it it's re- that's a really tough judgment because it's where Kadri ends. Up. You know, it, it's funny if Kadri's not the goal scorer in this situation, and if he's not the one who touches the puck off that pass coming off the bench, we're probably not talking about this the same way because it it, it just doesn't happen the same way. If he comes off the off the bench making that line change and goes back to try to be in position to maybe receive an outlet pass instead of going straight to the middle of the ice then we're probably not talking about it the same way. But he got so far out to the center of the ice and into open space and turned it on so quickly with his speed that he became such a noticeable part. And when he's the only guy who changed seconds before that happened, yeah, it becomes a little bit more magnified. So in normal circumstances, yeah, you know what? A line change like that that looks close probably doesn't have a factor on the play. But the fact that he scored the goal and is the only guy who touches the puck after he comes on the ice – you know, the change happens as the as the player, Arturi Lekin, is the one who makes the, the lead pass to him. Everything happens pretty much while he's got the puck. That's about it. it it's, it's that quick. And if it didn't happen that particular way, then I don't think we're talking about it. But because it did and it's he, he's a guy who jumps on the ice and then scores the goal, it's it's going to be a big talking point for sure. All right. Kevin Durso, of course, covers the Flyers for 97.3 ESPN.com. Since we've last spoken, John Tortorella has also spoken. So mm-hmm. give us some highlights of some of the things that stand out for you from these uh, few Tortorella um, media uh, availabilities. It's just his passion for not only for the game, because, you know, I'm not surprised by that. He's been around the league long a long time and. He's definitely a passionate guy, and he wears it on his sleeve for sure. But he's really passionate about the city, and he's saying all the right things, and that's kind of to be expected. But he really seems like he wants to get involved more so than just with the team and kind of get going with things as a coach. He wants to be involved in the community, and he seems like he wants to build a rapport with the fans and things like that. And he's really becoming a face for the franchise in the last several days here as he's from the introductions to he's made various appearances at at various different things at this point. They had a kind of public session where it was like a bit of a meet and greet at the training facility. He made an appearance at the uh, Snyder Youth Hockey graduation ceremony yesterday. Like he's really getting himself out there. And that's just going to warm people up to him even more in terms of the type of person that he is at this point. You know, you know, I think we all and I said this to Josh last week. I think we all see the clips and all see, you know, see the quotes and every, you know, all the sound bites he has and think that's who he is. Uh, there's way more layers to him than that. I think that's a very small portion of what we get to see. And I think he's looking to kind of use this as a fresh start for himself as well. He took the year off from coaching, and I think he's got a new perspective on the game from sitting back and listening to the way coaches talk now and all that type of stuff. And he's doing a lot of the right things so far. Obviously, time will tell. We have a long way to go before he actually gets his hands on the team on the ice. And certainly, you know, the next three weeks are when – everything else is going to happen you got the draft is two weeks from tonight and free agency kicks off three weeks from yesterday so all of your roster construction is going to happen in the next few weeks and that's really where 
we'll get an idea of what kind of team he's actually going to coach. All right, follow him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Durso for uh, Flyers offseason news. It's going to be happening here quickly. The NHL Stanley Cup championship is on 97.3 ESPN, and you can hear game five could be the clincher tomorrow night. Coverage starts at 7.30. If there is a game six, that'll be Sunday on 97.3 ESPN. By the way, Tuesday would be the game seven, the uh, hockey world hoping for a game seven. We'll see. Can Colorado close it out? Thurso, what do you got? You know, I think Colorado needs to close it out, and I think they've got Tampa about as vulnerable as I've seen right now just in terms of the emotion from the way game four ended. For their sake, I, w- I would not let them back into this series in any way, shape, or form. I would get this thing done on Friday night. Okay. Kevin Durso covers the Flyers for 973ESPN.com. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Well done. Good breakdown. The audio you heard, of course, courtesy of Sports USA Radio, uh, right here on 973ESPN. You heard the game live last night. Overtime. Sports Badge is brought to you by American Airlines and Atlantic City International Airport, ACY. Now has your one-stop ticket to over 90 domestic and international destinations. Book your next trip today at aa.com. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Badge Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app, where if you have the app, you can win Gill's Grill. Yes, Gill's Grill. I'm giving it away tomorrow during Happy Hour Friday. Five o'clock, if I call your name, you win the grill. No questions asked. Grill is yours. Cook away, grill away, burgers, dogs, whatever you want. The grill is mine. It will be yours. Get the app, enter to win. Listen for your name tomorrow on the sports. Now, back to Morse on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 252 on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. The NBA draft is on your radio tonight. It looks like the first three picks are already selected. You might as well just start the draft now, right? Why wait till 8 o'clock tonight to make the selection? I'd be fine with that. Get it over with? Live analysis on the Sports Bash? What? Well, the Sixers will not be affected here. They will not. uh, I would likely surmise that they will not make a selection tonight. But if they do... They have pick 23, which they got back from the Brooklyn Nets. Remember that trade between Harden and Simmons swapping. The Sixers sent this pick to Brooklyn. Brooklyn said, we'll wait till next year to make that pick. That's why the Sixers have this pick. And that's why I think Daryl Morey understands he has to take full advantage of this. Because I don't think they have a pick next year. So this might be the only opportunity that he gets to make a first round, uh, or I don't want to say make a pick, but use this pick as a value play. Now, I'll ask this question. Does Maury have enough confidence in himself, or does he like a player enough, that he says, you know what, I'll take a player at this pick. I did it a couple of years ago uh, when I took Tyrese Maxey, right? They took Tyrese Maxey with the 21st pick. So maybe there's a guy at 23 they actually like. My reaction to that would be this is a different team, a different environment at this point. Back then, you were still in kind of like wait and see, evaluation, reshuffle the deck mode. Right now, there's a clear and obvious need that really can't be uh, achieved via the 23rd overall pick. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'm just wondering. 
I mean, how many I would, different I would, oh, scenarios does Maury have mapped out? Hey, there's a guy that I think I can get at 23 that I like. Hey, I didn't anticipate having this pick. I'm not going to make this pick, but I have this toy that I have to play with now. I mean, I would assume that Daryl Morey is not David Gelman. He's not going to fall in love with somebody and draft him because he feels like he has to. No, especially this late in the draft. You know, you're talking about 23 as opposed to Gettleman being in the top 10 and just saying, hey, this is the guy I want. I'm at number six. I'm just taking him regardless because I'm so high in the draft. Right. When you're at 23, it's hard to do that because a lot of the guys that you might like are going to be gone. Now, a lot of people taking a look at what this draft might look like tonight. Jabari Smith. A lot of people thought could go number one, but you got Paulo Bonchero now as the betting favorite. Those odds have been flying. Have you been watching the odds on this? They keep flipping. I mean, wildly flipping. So Bonchero last night went from the third pick to the odds going all the way up to number one and like a clear favorite. Well, Chet Holmgren, those are the three guys. Smith, Holmgren, Bonchero. Then after that, there's probably the drop. So this is similar to the year where you had uh, Embiid, Wiggins, and Parker. How are these three guys going to go? We'll talk to Keith Smith on the other side here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. We'll get his thoughts on the draft and what trades could happen tonight. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three... The NBA draft tonight, Keith Smith, SpotTrack.com, at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. The draft, obviously the Sixers don't have a lot of impact in the draft per se, but could Daryl Morey do something tonight that could change the complexion of this roster? We'll get into that. Keith Smith, give us his thoughts on all things NBA, which the silly season is about to get underway, Keith, is obviously the NBA rumors are really heating up ahead of tonight's draft. First off, let's start with the draft. Your thoughts on this draft class. Uh, is there a player that really stands out to you? Uh, a couple guys you like, or are you not too uh, high on this particular class? Yeah, I'm pretty high uh, on this group. I think the top three uh, players in my tier, Paulo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith, are all going to be great players. I, there, there's not a, you know, the absolute superstar uh, that stands out that you can say, yeah, that guy's going to be the guy if if he stays healthy. There, there's no Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, anything like that. But those guys should all be very, very good uh, long-term NBA players. Second tier, I really like uh, Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey. I think they're both going to be good players. And after that, there's a ton of depth of guys who I think can probably in year one or at least by year two step in and be good quality rotation players on good teams. So I think uh, well, we're in for a good draft. There's a lot of teams with multiple picks and uh, teams, you know, rumored to be, you know, have certain guys they like and want to move up and down the board. So I think we're in for a really fun night. Yeah, we obviously know um, that Orlando has that first pick. Uh, do we have a feeling, though, uh, it seems that the, the favorite of that pick has gone all over the place in the last 24 hours. But do you have a thought uh, on who that pick will end up being? 
Yeah, it, it's really uh, tough to get things out of the Magic. They're pretty buttoned up, and they, they keep things pretty quiet. But but I'm guessing we're, we're going to see uh, Jabari Smith go go off the board yeah, at number one. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Holmgren or Bancaro because I think they're they're very good players uh, too. But I think we're going to see Jabari Smith uh, be the guy that the Magic take. I think he fits what they need most. Uh, right now fits in with what they've kind of built on their current roster. And it's not one of these situations where that's a reach because you're drafting for need versus best player available because you can really convince me any one of those three guys is the best player available. But everything seems to be lining up that that'll be the way it goes. Oklahoma City's next. Chet Holmgren has been reported as the pick there by most people. Uh, Would that uh, sound right to you? Yeah, that, that seems to make sense. Uh, that's how that will probably go. It seems like that's where he wants to be. Uh, they do have a need for another big. Uh, that's kind of the one position that they don't have any sort of uh, long-term building block at um, is that uh, power forward center position. So he would step in and be that guy for them over the uh, you know coming years as well. So I th- think that that's, that's what we're going to see is him go off the board number two. All right. Uh, and then obviously you mentioned uh, the top three players in this draft, the Houston Rockets picked third. That would leave Benchero to them in that third spot. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think they would be thrilled uh, to follow Bancaro because what happens with him is he can fit in for them as their, their long-term four. And again, that's a team that that's a position where they don't necessarily really have uh, a player. They, they played Jayshon Tate there, um, but he's really kind of out of position at that spot. He should probably be uh, playing the three more often. Uh, they've got some young guards that they really like. And then Alperin Schengen is going to step in and likely be their star starting five man you'll have a little bit of problem uh maybe crafting a good enough defense but that's something you'll figure out uh, as you get down the line but but i th- think they'd be very happy to have uh ben carroll locked in there too because he also fits because he's a pretty good passer and playmaker from that spot and i think they're building an offense where you're going to see them put uh four or five good passers at all times on the floor to open up that offense all right keith smith talking a little nba then you have the four spot sacramento fifth is detroit do we see uh Anything happening after those top three picks uh, that might turn this draft upside down? Yeah, as we kind of get into it, there's always the thought that, you know, the draft starts at X and then, you know, a number, you know, gets plucked kind of seemingly at random. But this year it's the draft starts at four and it's because you're getting out of those top three kind of players. And one of the thoughts is with that, that what you'll see happen is either Sacramento will take the player, they'll be up for trade. It may be moving that pick. Um, they're under a little bit of pressure. There's a sense that maybe the Kings don't want to add another young player. They went out, they got the Monis Sabonis last year. There's a real sense that they want to make a real push to try to get to the play-in tournament, the playoffs, if they can, if they can get that high. So there's a thought that pick could get moved for veteran help. And we'll see you know, what happens. And there's definitely teams that are interested in moving up. Uh, most of them seem to have their eyes on Jaden Ivey. Yeah, Ivy, the Purdue guard there. Sacramento has the fourth pick. We mentioned Detroit. Now, Detroit uh, is a really interesting team. Are they a team that everybody should have their eye on after the grant trade last night? Yeah, because they can basically do almost whatever they want to do. They're going to have anywhere between 40 
five and fifty six million in cap space, which that's significantly more uh, than even the second most team. Now there's a lot of rumors out there that that they've got their eyes on crafting a big offer sheet for DeAndre Ayton. Uh, if not an offer sheet, just doing a straight sign and trade to bring Ayton in, which that's certainly possible. We'll see, you know, how that goes. But that that's one of the things that's being talked about. But because they know that they they're sitting on this basically this mountain of cap space, they can go a lot of different directions. And I don't sense that the Pistons are necessarily saying, all right, we're going to add a bunch of veterans and try to get into the playoffs in the next year. I think they're still in the slow play this. So so I think you're, you're going to see them you know, definitely make some moves, e- even if it's not necessarily tonight, but they'll start doing things that are setting themselves up to make moves over the course of the next week or so as we get into free agency. Now, would they, in your mind, be a player in free agency, or are they more of a sign-and-trade situation? Yeah, I... I... There's a couple different ways. One, if they go the DeAndre Ayton route, that's going to be $30 million of the cap space that they'll use uh, basically right away because he's almost assuredly going to get a max offer if he's going to change teams. So then, But you're still sitting on then, you know, 15 to $20 million or so in space, so you still got plenty of room to do other things. And I think what Detroit is, they remember, uh, gosh, now it was probably about four or five years ago now when uh, Philadelphia was like, right, we're ready to kind of make the, the turn here and start competing and they signed J.J. Reddick to that big one-year deal. I uh, was that first year and I, th- I want to say it was $19 million, and everybody's like, well, you know, Reddick well, he was more of a $12, 13000000 million player. Well, if it's one year, you can overpay a veteran. And if Detroit looks at it and says, hey, we can go get you know, player X that we feel like can really help us, maybe help even boost us into being, you know, this year's Cleveland uh, and make a run at the postseason, then what we may see them do is make that kind of big move and go up and get, uh, you know, a, a, a veteran player by overpaying them for a year. They might even do that with a couple guys. And that's an option that's on the board as well. All right. Indiana is interesting. They've got a couple guys uh, that are being rumored to be moved. Portland made a move last night. New Orleans, they're in this mode now where where they made a great run towards the end of the year. They think they're getting Zion back. Uh, and, and then San Antonio, it feels like that group, and Washington, by the way, who picks 10, so that's your group of teams next. It feels like those teams are going to be very interesting to keep an eye on, too, because they're all in areas where I guess they feel like it, Portland seemingly pivoted one way last night. New Orleans will be very interesting to see what their mindset is. San Antonio, could they make a a Murray trade um, and and try to change the complexion of what their team looks like? And then, of course, Washington has the Beal thing kind of lingering tonight. Yeah, let's even go one more to the New York Knicks with the next pick, too, because that whole group of teams, is that's the one where everybody's kind of got their eyes on them because there's a sense of, all right, does Indiana, what does Indiana want to do? Do they want to follow the Portland model and try to retool this very quickly around Turner, uh, probably trading Brogdon, but around Turner, Heald, Halliburton, retool that roster, get some players in there and try to make a playoff run? Or are they saying, you know what, All right, we got Halliburton, he's our guy now. Let's blow this up. Let's add other picks. Let's move Turner. Let's move Brogdon. Let's bring in young players. Let's really, you know, rebuild this. That hasn't been something the Pacers have done, but there's some rumblings that they might be a little bit more willing to go that direction. You mentioned Portland, but we'll see now what they're going to do if they trade seven or not. I think they're more inclined to trade it because after making the Jeremy Grant deal, they're in win now mode. 
the, adding a player at seven is it's highly unlikely that player is going to step right in and be ready to play day one uh, in the rotation of a playoff team. So I think they're probably looking to move that pick and bring in additional help. Uh, yeah, New Orleans, you know, a lot, lot of. Uh, you know, stuff there because they don't really need anything right now as far as, you know, a young player goes. Um, so they're, they're a team to watch. But that whole grouping, that whole section of, you know, four or five teams right there, that, that's really interesting because you've got a lot of teams that are looking to go in different directions that, that could be very, very active tonight all the way into the start of next week in free agency. All right, there's a lot of other things that could be happening with players here. Let's talk to Keith Smith about it. Um, all right. You mentioned um, is there a is there a name tonight a, a, a big time player a high profile player that you think is going to be moved tonight? John Collins of Atlanta. I am a huge believer in when you hear something over and over and over again, and multiple people are hearing it, and multiple teams are hearing the same kind of thing that there's something going on. And for whatever reason, I don't fully understand it because I think John Collins is a terrific player and I think he's very very good but there is a sense that the Atlanta Hawks want to move off uh, John Collins and free up some salary uh, wiggle room under the tax uh, for them so they're not quite as expensive team as they might have been so if I had to bet on any one player getting moved tonight it would be John Collins okay how likely is it in your mind that there's a Beal or somebody of that magnitude moved on a night like tonight? Yeah, very unlikely because what happens in those situations is unless Bradley Beal is opting in, which there's reporting that he's not going to do that, he's going to opt out. You can't really do a sign-in trade right. today at the draft. As we saw, Miami and Chicago got dinged a couple picks. Uh, for for tampering, that would involve a whole new layer of tampering a whole week out to say, hey, we've arranged this sign and trade. I'm not naive. That may have already happened, sure. but no one's going to openly admit to it this far out and say, hey, NBA, please come take a draft pick away from us. And the sense is, that was the uh, warning shot, I guess, to teams around the league of taking those picks away, that the next time it happens, the penalties are going to be more severe. Uh, Keith, what is your take on you know, players like uh, an Eric Gordon, whose name has come up a lot. Is that a player that could be moved tonight? Philadelphia has been linked to them. Phoenix has been linked to him. Yeah, we'll see. I think that might be one that maybe is a little bit easier to happen a week from now uh, when we're into to next year uh, and roster sizes expand and you've got a couple teams with cap space to maybe help facilitate. But I do think there's a good chance we're going to see Eric Gordon moved. I think uh, the trade of Christian Wood really signaled that Houston is leaning very heavy into this rebuild. So Gordon could be on the move tonight. That wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden we got news that he was being traded. But that may be one where we get the the announcement tonight and then we find out all right but that's going to actually execute a week from now when the week year flips over what do you make of how prevalent the pj tucker talk seems to be it almost seems here in this market anyway that the sixers are uh, have already made him an offer for for all i mean there's numbers (laughs) and everything what do you read into that yeah, I, I think there's a couple things there. It, it may be true. There may already have been uh, discussions. Again, I'm not you know naive enough to believe nobody talks until the league says go. Because I don't care how skilled of a negotiator you are, you don't get it done in 30 seconds. Uh, you know, and we all know 
on June 30th at 6 p.m. That's when the window opens. And Woj is going to be sending out tweets by 6.02 uh, that say, you know, who's signing where. So I, I do think, though, there's also a component to I think it's pretty well understood um, what P.J. Tucker's value is in the league. I think there's a sense for P.J. Tucker years are a little bit more important than maximizing every dollar that he can get at his age. He is limited to a three-year deal because of the over 38 rules. So that puts a kind of uh, restraint on there that we all know what that looks like. So I think that's what's coming in there. But a lot of teams like P.J. Tucker because he's a very plug-and-play guy. You put him in, he's going to spot up and shoot for threes. He's going to give you good defense, and you basically move move along, whether he's starting, coming off your bench, whatever it is. So there's going to be competition for his services for sure. All right. Let's look at Daryl Morey tonight at 23, Keith Smith. And, you know, obviously uh, there's a lot of talk that he wants to pair 23 uh, with somebody, Thibel, Green, um, would you anticipate Maury doing something tonight that we'll be talking about tomorrow? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. He's never been a guy who's overly locked in on making the draft picks that, that he has. I think they would have been uh, perfectly content, too, if the Nets had taken that pick this year and then freed them up to be able to trade uh, next year's pick and in beyond, or not next year, but trade picks into the future a little bit easier. Now they've, they've kind of got that obligation hanging out there but it wouldn't shock me at all if what we see is they make the pick but they're selecting a player for somebody else that guy's being uh, sent along with with you know one of the players you mentioned and whether it's to just free up a little bit of wiggle room to use the bigger mid-level exception under the tax or something on along those lines because i think daryl morey very much has a good read on we've got james harden we've got joel Embiid. Adding a kid at 23 who might be ready to play in year two, year three of his contract, that sounds great, but we need guys who are ready to go right now. I guess another big question is surrounding Tobias Harris. Uh, There's been a lot of whispers that the Sixers are basically making calls uh, to see the value of Harris. Guys like Danny Green, Matisse Thibel. He did trade Horford a couple of years ago. How tradable is Harris, and would tonight be the kind of night that Maury could try to move him yeah it's it's tricky because that's a big big number you know 35 million or whatever it is uh, right in that range that that that's tough that that becomes a a number that's hard to to move without taking some stuff back it's going to happen tonight it's going to happen through uh probably moving someone along the lines of Moving him to Oklahoma City, who has cap space right now, they're the only team. But then you take back ten million uh, from Derek Favors or something along those lines—a straight salary dump where it Harris goes with no money coming back. That's extremely unlikely because there's really only there's no team that can do that right now. As you're speaking and going into next week, the only team that would be able to do that would be the Detroit Pistons, and that's uh, probably not the direction they're looking to go. Right. I mean, it seems that he would be a very difficult one to trade, uh, Tobias Harris. Now, 23, Danny Green, 23, Matisse Thibel. That's been talked about a lot. Are those two that the Sixers would do just to get, you know, get rid of Green and to clear cap space? Are they cap space moves more so than, hey, we want to get better moves? 
Yeah, that's exactly what it would be. It would be to create that wiggle room underneath. Uh, not necessarily cap space, because they're still going to be capped out, but create the ability to use these larger uh, mid-level extensions. So instead of offering a first-year contract of about $6.4 million, you're up around $10.4 million or so. So that's, and that, that's a, you know, $4 million, a good chunk of change. So right. that's what you would have your eyes on being able to do in a move like that. Now, Danny Green, the challenge comes in. They would have to guarantee his contract for something for next year. Otherwise, as it stands today, his contract counts for zero uh, in salary matching in a trade because he's non-guaranteed for next year. But uh, that, that, that happens. Sometimes we see that where they'll step up the guarantee to whatever needed to be to, to make the trade. So we could see that. Uh, Matisse Thibel, sure, there's certainly plenty of teams that would jump at the chance to acquire him, even with some of the issues uh, that he has as an offensive player. Uh, his defensive ability is so good that you'd see somebody jump all over that to go get him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is definitely a chance. I think, you know, anytime you're talking about players who are uh, either really young, uh, which Thibault would fit, and obviously the draft pick would fit, or someone who's not really a part of the future, which is Danny Green due to the injury, I think Daryl Moore is definitely going to be looking to see what he can do with those guys. Yep, uh, keep your eye on Philadelphia, obviously, tonight. Uh, anything else that you are uh, looking for tonight? Draft night is kind of like the kickoff to this uh, regular, this uh, offseason, I should say, where we are hearing so many different things from Kyrie and Duran and Beal and everything in between. It seems like uh, tonight's going to be a very interesting ride, to say the least. Is there anything else that you are kind of keeping your ear on? Yeah, I'm watching the teams that have multiple picks. Uh, because those teams are always a little bit more interesting because they can do combinations of picks and and move up. Oklahoma City, because they're sitting on that bunch of cap space left, as well as they're sitting on um, you know a million extra draft picks. I think they have 14 in the next five drafts, uh, just in the first round. So that is, uh, you know, they, they've got the you know ammunition to do almost whatever it is uh, they want to do, and that they'll certainly be active in trying. And then I think. Um, I'm really interested in seeing what the San Antonio Spurs do with DeJounte Murray because we're hearing a lot of smoke around here or seeing in that around DeJounte Murray is, you know, what's going on? There's so much chatter. And I think the Spurs have kind of hit the point where they haven't fully leaned into rebuilding yet because as they kind of moved out of the Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard group, they still had some pretty good players left. Then DeMar DeRozan moved on, Lamar Saldridge moved on, and then they were still kind of okay. If they move Murray, that says to me, sends a real message of, all right, we're really probably starting to reprioritize here and go a slightly different direction from where we've been as a franchise, and that's always an interesting move. Uh, Keith Smith covers the NBA, SpotTrack.com, at Keith Smith NBA. The draft tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN, and uh, we will see what Orlando does. They'll kick it all off with the first pick, and you can hear that pick and all the picks on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Keith, thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Excellent work from Keith Smith. Very informative. And as you heard what he said about Tobias Harris, much as we thought, be very difficult to try to pull off a deal because of the amount of money that he makes. But if there's somebody that can do it, maybe it's Daryl Morey. What say you? 609-403-0973. Text me your thoughts. 609-403-0973 on that Keith Smith conversation, if you will. You know, he talked about how 
The one guy he thinks can be traded tonight is John Collins, Atlanta. There's some talk about Collins for Murray. He just talked about the Spurs there. That's something that's been thrown out there as well. Don't anticipate the big names, he said, like a Bradley Beal moving tonight. But I wouldn't be so surprised if we saw Daryl Morey have to get to the podium tonight and discuss a new player. More Sports Bash coming up. Don't forget, you can win Gill's Grill. I'm giving away a free grill tomorrow. You want to win the grill, all you got to do, go to our website, 973ESPN.com. Click on Win Gill's Grill. Enter the form. If I call your name, the grill is yours. Free grill, Gill's Grill, my grill is your grill. Tomorrow, 5 o'clock, I'll call somebody's name. But you got to download the app now to enter at 973ESPN.com slash app. Now, back to the spree ESPN. All right, 328, thanks to Keith Smith for uh, filling us in on some NBA draft news, notes, nuggets, and things you can use for tonight's NBA draft. Uh, Jabari Smith, probably going to go one. Chet Holmgren, probably going to go two. He's the Gonzaga kid. And then you got uh, Pablo Boncharo, who is uh, the Duke kid. So you got uh, Smith Auburn, Gonzaga, and Duke would be your top three. And then I think Jaden Ivey will probably go next. He's the Purdue kind of uh, combo guard. You've got Keegan Murray, who uh, Keith mentioned. He's the Iowa kid, big guy. Um, after that, it's just a smorgasbord of guys you can look at. Dyson Daniels, he's the kid who plays for the uh, G League Ignite team. That's the uh, now this whole G League Ignite thing. They're the kids who basically skipped college and ended up going to the G League and playing on the Ignite team for a year. And they just basically go around and play the other G League teams. You've got um, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. He's a kid that I like. You've got A.J. Griffin from Duke's, an interesting guy. Um, Mark Williams, another Duke kid. You probably recognize some of those names because of the Duke kids. You've got, oh, man, um, the kid uh, E.J. Lindell from Ohio State. He's a guy that the Sixers did pick at number 23. He might be a guy on their radar. By the way, in the mock draft over at ESPN.com, uh, they've got Wendell Moore Jr., who was another Duke kid, by the way. I think all five of the Duke kids are going to get drafted in the first round. Uh, he is their pick at number 23, but I don't anticipate that happening, the Sixers making that pick at number 23, unless they make the pick and then agree to trade it to somebody else. That would probably be a likely scenario as well. Jaden Hardy's a guy to keep a name on, uh, an eye on. He's a G League Ignite player. And I don't know. I, I, he Keith seems to like the draft. He he he. Uh, it's top heavy, like most drafts in the NBA are. Um, now keep in mind the Sixers got Tyrese Maxey at number twenty one. He was a player that slipped down there. And there's another Kentucky player, Ty Ty Washington. If you ever seen him play, um, he's uh, being compared a little bit to Maxey. I would say that Tyrese was a unique situation because. You know, that was in the aftermath of, like, the pandemic lockdowns. Then remember, there was no NCAA tournament. And you mentioned earlier, you know, the draft wasn't in the usual June-July slot. It was way later in the year. So, I mean, there's a possibility that if Tyrese Maxey was draft eligible in a normal draft environment, he might not have dropped so much. Yeah, no, I mean, but, you know, this is um, a draft class. Uh, that there's clearly the top three, right? Yes. And then you have this group 
that drops off, which isn't so out of the ordinary. And that doesn't mean you can't find guys. No, but it does mean that th- that when you're sitting at 23rd overall, you're not going to be able to get the kind of player that people people have an idea of how the draft works. And it's not how the draft works. Like guys like Giannis and Siakam and Jokic, they're not those gay those guys day one, day two, or even year two, year three. You know, those guys take time to develop. So yeah, you can find a future league MVP like Giannis or Jokic or Siakam as an all-star later in the draft, but you can't find that guy and him be of that impact day one. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem for the Sixers, Mike. Isn't it that the Sixers need someone now, not three years from now? Yeah, that's what I think Keith was kind of referencing, too, is that at 23, they probably would be more inclined. In fact, he actually indicated that the Sixers would probably have been okay if Brooklyn kept the pick, which I don't know that I 100% agree with. Well, I, I understand where Keith is coming from, but I think this is where he was wrong in that point. I understand in his mind, it's like, look, Philadelphia probably was planning as if they weren't going to have the pick and that once they got the pick, it kind of changed their offseason plans. But I don't think you ever prefer not to or you're okay with not having a tradable asset. I think Maury's history, as you outlined in the first hour, Mike, he has a long history of being a wheeler and a dealer. And one of the key assets to be a wheeler and a dealer is having draft picks. Look at the two most recent quote-unquote high-profile deals that have happened the last couple of weeks. You know, Christian Wood. Well, he gets traded to Dallas for players and a first-round pick. Jeremy Grant, all-star, traded to Portland for a first-round pick. Now, neither one of those picks are high-level picks. They're not, I mean, even the 2025 pick apparently is top four protected for Milwaukee. So it's not like Portland or Dallas we're giving up like these massive picks. No, in fact, there's been a lot of talk about, hey, if this was all that got traded for certain players, you know, why didn't the Sixers get involved with number 23 and trade for some of the players that just got moved? Well, that's also it's easier said than done. You know, people, I think, forget sometimes that some of this stuff is not as simple as why didn't we get that guy? You know, how do we know that Maury wasn't already on the phone for Jeremy Grant? And Well, it's the it's the return if he was on the phone for Jeremy Grant the return that he would have gotten had he made I guess you're saying what they got for Jeremy Grant wouldn't the Sixers offer have been better so you're assuming then that he wasn't on the phone because if he was on the phone his offer was better why would they take a lesser offer I'm saying that's what Sixer fans think and I think one of the things that gets overlooked is part of the Woj report last night that I that I read on the air um, on game night was that Detroit traded Grant into this massive cap exception that Portland has. And now Detroit has $43 million in salary cap space to go to the free agency. Well, if Detroit makes that trade with Philadelphia, they don't have $43 million in cap space. They might have, for example, if your trade would have been 
I'm just throwing how the numbers add up. Mm -hmm. uh, Danny Green, Matisse, Thibel, Furkan, Korkmaz. Well, you only get $10 million coming off of that. So mm -hmm. instead of maybe having $43 million, maybe instead you have like $13 million. Yeah, because the, the trade was a 2025 first-round pick. It was a salary dump move because Portland had that massive trade exception that they had to use before the start of the next league. Well, year. and I guess on the flip side, you know, if Portland is only giving up a 2025 first-round pick, which they got from my, Milwaukee, by the way, so you're anticipating that that pick's not going to be very good. It's top four protected anyway. Portland's doing that trade every day of the week. Yeah. And that's why the Sixer fans would say, well, wait a second. Well, why couldn't we do something like that? Um, Detroit sends Grant into a $21 million trade exception. Correct. With the Pistons now opening up $43 million in salary space in free agency. So right. the trade was created from the C.J. McCollum trade Correct. earlier in the year. And then that opens up the ability for Portland to add a player like Grant, who's going to sign, he could sign anyway, a four-year, $112 million extension. Just think about that. Jeremy Grant was a process player. He was a guy that was drafted by Sam Hinkie. And now he's going to go make four years, $112 million. How many guys have made money in this league because they were process players? Robert Covington, TJ McConnell, now Jeremy Grant. Yeah, good for well, These guys are making more money than Jaleel Okafor. <laughs> I mean, the guys who were picked, <laughs> Michael Carter-Williams, Nerlens Noel. I mean, these guys who were second-round pick afterthoughts are have become more useful players than the – I mean, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem with everything. Well, I mean, that, that, whole, that all gets back to who was in charge of what point when those guys were traded and all that stuff. That's a whole other conversation. But back to the Sixers point. So, yes, the reason why the Sixers, as I was saying before you, you outlined the process aspect, but back to the original point, the reason why the Sixers didn't get Jeremy Grant was because Detroit basically said, we value having $43 million in cap space. Then we do acquiring Danny Green, Matisse, Thibel, and Korkma. I don't blame them. Well, and the play for Detroit, apparently they are being linked to DeAndre Ayton Correct. and making the offer for him. Um, that according to, to Jake Fisher. Which would be hilarious because then they already have guys like Drummond and Blake Griffin. Not going to go get another big man. Well, they got Blake Griffin a little bit into his career and Drummond, I wouldn't. Blake had a couple good years over there. In yeah, Detroit. he did, but he had already been in the league for 10 years, yeah. right? He was getting towards the end. Ayton. He's a young guy. Yeah, he's entering his prime. It's just... I wouldn't say he's a franchise player, though. Like, if they're trying to sign him to some mega... That's the problem. Phoenix is saying, we don't think you're that player. Right. And then, see, these are the moves that become interesting. This is a kind of a very intriguing rabbit hole to kind of go down. Okay, your team won how many games last year? 62 games. They were the number one seed. You were in the finals the year before. You come up short this year. You have a player on your team that helps you get there, right? Correct. But in your heart of hearts, you don't believe he's valued at what he believes he's valued. Right, which gets back to if you're DeAndre Ayton, you would turn around and be like, well, you drafted the number one overall. What do you think I was going to be? Well, so the Pistons, I mean, the Suns get to a point where he's now becoming a free agent. Right, they couldn't come to an agreement during the year, and now he's home free to go wherever he wants. Right, and the Suns are saying, we we like you, we want you on our team, 
I don't know if they're saying that, but but we don't want you at this. But price. we don't want you at this price. But now your team is kind of like, well, what happens if we lose him? But do you stick to your guns and your morals to say you're not worth the money that you're asking for? I'm sorry, I have to let you walk. Then how do you replace that? You're a team that's on the precipice of winning a championship. You just let that guy walk. And these are the th- problems that so many teams in the NBA get stuck against. Where you're like. I don't think that guy's worth the money, but what am I supposed to do? The Sixers had that happen to him. I don't think Tobias Harris is worth the money, but what am I supposed to do? I can't just let him walk. Well, the Suns are saying, we're just going to let you walk. So this is a very interesting kind of conundrum that these NBA teams fall in, and it gets them to the spot where too many guys get paid not because they're worth something, but because the team has no other choice if they let them walk. Right, and and this is where the other side of, you know, guys wanting to play with their friends and, you know, who do they know, who are they friends with, all this crazy stuff comes in because of the fact that at the end of the day, some of these guys are not making decisions for winning reasons. And I'm not trying to throw anybody in the bus. You know, if you have an opportunity to make life-changing, generational-altering money. I won't tell DeAndre Ayton, don't go to Detroit. But if he stays in Phoenix, him and Devin Booker are a tandem that has a chance to be good for a very long time. Yeah. So if if Ayton's priority is, I want to go make that money, well, then you got to do that with the understanding that you might not win anything. And then, you know, you might have this great career. Let's say DeAndre Ayton plays for 15 years, Mike. I'm just throwing out a random number. Let's say he has a great career. Like, let's say he's a, he becomes like an eight-time All-Star and he's a runner-up for league MVP and he wins Defensive Player of the Year and blah, blah, blah. But then when he's 34, 35 years old, it's like, but DeAndre Ayton never won a championship. Well, then what's he going to do? He's going to be like all these other guys. He's going to be ring chasing. He's going to be hooking up with the next random dude. Right. Whereas if he stays in Phoenix, the conversation's completely different. He could still have... Those accolades. Well, that's each individual player. What do they want? Do they want to be a ring chaser? Or do they just want to make the money? Right. You know, but does do the Suns want to bring him back at? I don't know what what number do they want to bring him back at? I mean, I if if I were reading, were the they not playing leagues? him in the finals last year? I mean, he wasn't even play, uh, in in the Western Conference Finals. He was sitting out. Well, that was part of the question. The question was during the finals: was are they sitting him? Because of the money situation, the contract, or are they sitting him because he's just not able to get the job done? Because part of the problem in the postseason was, hey, against a team like Milwaukee, you're a freak athlete against other freak athletes. The problem is in other postseason series where the other team doesn't have a natural center, who's eight and guarding? Half the league is smaller and faster than Yeah, him. well, yeah, he is not your stretch five. He's not shooting threes, although not he's even gotten close. a little bit better at it, but that's not his forte. He's nope. definitely a center that is more of the rim protector than he is an offensive player, no question. I think one of the big stories tonight, too, with, with the Aiton thing kind of out there with the Pistons, keep an eye on the Pistons tonight. So according to reports, the Knicks are trying to unload $25 million because they want to go after Jalen Brunson. I mean, we know his father is now an assistant coach there. So, yeah, hey, let's go get my son. And don't forget the, the guy who's the GM of the Knicks is a former agent himself, Leon Rose. He's got all of his 
buddies from the agent world working in the front office with him. You know, guys like World Wide West. Now he's got Brunson's dad on the coaching staff. So, you know, you you know what they're doing. They're trying to angle themselves for certain free agents. Which, right. But you know, keep listen, an eye on them, today, them, as Keith said. Keep an eye on them at number 10 because they're trying to clear out $25 million so that they can make an offer for a player like yeah. Brunson, which means Alec Burks, not a huge name, but guy that – can shoot a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Nerland's Noel. I think you can possibly see him get traded tonight. And then you go see the Knicks try to do something with 10 so that they can clear out the cap space. Here's, we'll give you 10 to take these two guys, Burks and Noel, in 10. Boom. So that could be something that you see tonight. I think um, Minnesota, another team with uh, D'Angelo Russell. He seems to be a name that always keeps coming up. He's been a topic of trade conversation and. If you remember, he got benched in the end of the uh, playoffs game against the the Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, Russell has been a guy who I don't think really made the impact in Minnesota that they thought he'd remember him and um, Carl Anthony Towns. They were supposed to be great friends. And sure. uh, that really never materialized into uh, much there. The Beal thing, I wouldn't anticipate, as Keith said, something happening with that tonight. But he reportedly, this a couple days ago, said he's going to decline that $36 million player option, and now he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. i got to imagine that's a kick in the groin for the, the for the Wizards. It's a kick in the groin, but it's also a sign like Levine to Chicago that, hey, you didn't give me the contract I wanted before I got to this point. Uh, more Sports Bash coming up. NBA playoffs, excuse me, NBA draft. NBA free agency a week from tonight. Uh, we're doing the AFC South today, uh, West today. This is going to be a good one. Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos. Russell Wilson. Whew, all the quarterbacks in this division. You've got uh, possibly four of the best quarterbacks. Uh, by the way, Herbert, too. Uh, Chargers. Our guy Jeff Kerr had an interview with uh, Herbert today. Of course he did. So Broncos, Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers today. Football at four. We're previewing the AFC West with Checo. Got our headlines. Phillies got swept. No bueno. Can't have it happen. Can't have it happen. Harper said you got to win every series. You just lost a series. You swept. lost three in a row. Swept. Lost three straight. The uh, Rob Thompson shyness is starting to uh, dull out a little bit, it looks like. They got the Padres tonight. More Sports Bash coming up. Now, back to with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 351 Sports Bash, NBA draft. I always love the NBA draft, but, you know, the Sixers process maybe was one of the reasons why I was a big fan of the NBA draft because they were so prevalent in the draft for so many years. But 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, really, they were an 18, right? They were a huge part of the draft. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, they took. Can you uh, rip them off? They took uh, 13. They took Michael Carter-Williams and Darius um, and Nerlens Noel. In 14, they took uh, Embiid and Sarge. In 15, they took Jaleel Okafor. In 16, they took Ben Simmons. In 17, they took Markel Fultz. And 18, I get a little murky. That was uh, Timothy, I think, was that, was that Timothy Lawali Cabarro? Now, one of the years they had like three picks, and they ended up with Cabarro, Cork Maz. Um, Maybe that was the Fultz draft. Let me double check. Fultz was uh, the year they lost to the Heat 
in the playoffs. So that was like uh, 17, was that 17, 18, something like that. After they lost that round, they lost, not the Heat, uh, Boston. Cork Maz and Timothy Lawawa were both in the Simmons draft. So they took Simmons and then, and then Cork Maz and Timothy Lawawa Cabarro. Right. Yeah. But all those years, you were so invested in the draft. Now, the last couple of years, I mean, even last year, they took Maxi and nobody really. And then the, the one year they took Thibel, what year was that, 19? I think Thibel was 19. And then they had the one year, 18, I guess it was, when they took uh, Mikael Bridges. And they traded and they him traded for Zaire Smith. Smith in the pick. It was a bust. I mean, that pick was the pick that they used to get Tobias Harris. The problem is people aren't all that enthralled with Tobias Harris either. Who would you rather have, Tobias Harris or Mikael Bridges? So here's the problem with that question. The problem with that question is, is that if you have Mikel Bridges, then are you trading for Jimmy Butler? Because Bridges and Butler play a similar position on the floor. You don't have Butler now anyway. No, I, well, I know that, but I mean, like, there's, there, it's a domino effect. It's like, um, it's like the, what is the, th- the theory called in science? The butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. Where it's like the one flap of the wing in one direction could change the entire outcome of everything. Sure. So if you keep Bridges... You would probably never trade for Jimmy Butler, which means you wouldn't trade for Tobias. Maybe you do still trade for Tobias Harris because you didn't trade for Butler. I don't know. I mean, well, that you wouldn't have been able to make the trade for Harris because the trade for Harris involved the first round pick you got for Bridges. Right. right. What I'm saying is, you still would have had the assets of Covington and Sarich to trade somewhere else. So they could have made another trade at some point. Theoretically, right? right. Dancing Nancys, by the way, Dave Matthews. Fancy. Right? Fancy. Could I have been anyone other than me? (laughs) Could I have been a parking lot attendant? Right? What happens if I drafted Bridges, never made the trade, I don't have the first-round pick? What's my roster look like today? It could be very different. You could do that with a variety of Sixers moves, though. But that one right there, you know, Bridges, they drafted him and then traded him. They get Smith back and the pick. Unassuming on draft night because you're not talking about a high lottery pick. Correct. You're not talking about the number one pick, Fultz, for Tatum. You know, at the time you're thinking you got the deal with Fultz. Yeah, we give you Tatum, and the number they give him a first round pick for God's sakes too. You think though, like Boston, they went to the finals this year. Give them all the credit in the world. But think about all the stuff they have and haven't been able to win. I mean, the Sixers gave them Tatum. And another first-round pick. Don't forget, still the, haven't been able to win. Thibel was a Boston trade, too. Boston originally traded. I drafted Thibel and then traded him to Sixers. Uh, who's the best team in the AFC West? Mahomes, Herbert, Carr, Wilson. Who's the best quarterback in the NFC, AFC West? That's our preview next. Football at 4 here on the Sports Bash. We're live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. It's football at four. Football at four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I'm looking forward to this one today. 
Football on Four today is brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flight from Atlantic City International to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com. The ASC West might be the best. We're going to look at the four teams in the West with Andrew Checo from InsideTheBirds.com as we continue our previews of the divisions leading up the Eagles training camp on July the 26th. All the training camp dates have been released, and uh, we will be leading you right up to training camp July 26th. And on our way, we'll look at the uh, NFL divisions. We've gone through the three in the AFC. This is the last one, week number four of our previews now with Andrew DeCecco as we take a look at the AFC West. Andrew, and this might be the most interesting, might co- most competitive. It certainly has maybe the four best quarterbacks all residing in one spot, and uh, this should be a good one. Let's start in Kansas City with the defending champion, Chiefs 12 and 5 and let's start with how different this offense might look without Tyreek Hill for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting what they do without that bona fide deep threat. Obviously they they do have some speed guys in place and Nicole Hardman who really has not materialized as being anything more than a rotational, situational gadget type of player. And then they have, they added uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, of course, from the Green Bay Packers, who's a good vertical threat but struggles to catch the ball consistently. And I don't know that he's someone you can count on to be uh, a competent number two, or a consistent number two that you can lean on. So there's some questions there as far as the wide receivers go. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is the mainstay there, and the offense is going to continue to run through him. From a pass, uh, from a passing game standpoint. And uh, I like some of the pieces on the offensive line. I, I like Creed Humphrey a lot, obviously. Um, Joe Thune, uh, the left guard, uh, is, is a player that I, that I like. And they have Orlando Brown as well. So they have some guys there, but I, I just wonder how they're going to be able to manufacture the points that they're able to, to, to do to, to sort of rack up when they had Tyreek Hill and, and added a whole new dimension to their offense. And obviously with Patrick Mahomes, He's a th- he's a dual threat in itself. So uh, I would I would be you know I would tend to lean as far as you know the offense is, isn't going to be totally capped without Tyreek Hill because you have Patrick Mahomes on the under center. Yeah, I mean, does this to you signify a completely like uh, pivot, a different look from what their offense was, or do we see someone kind of fill that role? Well, I don't know that I don't know that anyone can really fill that role. I mean, they they did draft Sky Moore, the wide receiver from uh, Western Michigan, who I do like. Uh, but I, I mean, you're talking about Tyree Kill, one of the better receivers in football. I don't know that you're you're going to be able to sort of manufacture his production or reproduce his what he was able to put out there on the field. He's a game changing type of player. And right now, outside of Travis Kelsey, I don't know that they have another player that ha- that can even be comparable. Um, currently. So I think you're going to see a different offense. You're going to see one that I think that isn't going to be able to move the football and, you know, that's going to have to gradually be able to move the football in certain points of the game instead of being able to rely on that big play that was always there with Tyreek Hill whenever, whenever the ball was in his hands. So you're going to see a different offense. But with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, that's something that their teams are still going to have to plan for, obviously, and they're going to, they're going to continuously strike fear 
into opposing defenses. Yeah, they did bring in Juju Smith-Schuster from Pittsburgh. They still have Hardman. It seems like when a guy like Hardman uh, got an opportunity, you know, when there would be a game or two uh, where they needed him more, he produced. So I guess they figure, hey, let's just tap on somebody else, see if they can. Uh, but it's going to be hard-pressed to do what Tyreek Hill did. But you got the running game, too. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jarek McKinnon's a nice name. Uh, they also have uh, a couple of young guys there. Yeah, they, have, uh, they also have Ronald Jones, who's going to be their power running back, although he's someone who struggled to hold on to the football and never really never really did well when he had an elevated role in Tampa Bay. So, But he's going to factor into the rotation. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a player I really like, but again, sort of like a – I liken it to a, a Brian Westbrook in that I don't know that he's someone that can handle – a sustained amount of volume for for the foreseeable future, and and you saw it. He had an injury last year as well, so you're, that's something to keep an eye on. But he's a player that's going to ha- factor heavily in the passing game as well. You mentioned Juju Smith Schuster. He is a a volume target monster type of guy, possession receiver, not someone that that is really going to move the needle as far as the explosive plays are concerned and fill that void in that regard. But he's another, he's a, he's a veteran, he's a young veteran that's going to help Patrick Mahomes and be that safety valve over the middle. So um, they do have some pieces there to work with. Uh, Andrew, you got uh, an interesting defense here. I mean, obviously, they went and got Karloftis in the first round of the draft. I think that's an interesting one. Nick Bolton at linebacker, Justin Reed at safety, Frank Clark on the edge. So uh, this is a, a defense. Chris Jones, by the way, still there. So this is a very interesting uh, Trent McDuffie they got as well. So uh, this is a pretty interesting defense. When we think of the Chiefs, we think about a defense that has struggled in the past. Yeah, yeah, particularly uh, well against the run, but also in the secondary, they've sort of given up some, they've been susceptible to giving up some yards, particularly at the cornerback spot. And I think right now when you added someone, Trent McDuffie, who's probably going to set on that nickel role, I would imagine, um, yeah, and you have Juan Thornhill and Justin Reed, that's a pretty strong safety tandem. Uh, Legereus Sneed was the fourth-round pick, I believe, in 2020. Pretty long, physical corner. I think he's starting to come into his own a little bit there. And then you look at, you mentioned Karloftis on the defensive line. He's a plug-and-play guy, going to be able to anchor in the running game, very strong, powerful at the point of attack. You love what you have there. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, obviously still there. Leo Chanel was a linebacker from Wisconsin who they drafted in the third round, who's going to be probably a weak-side linebacker for them. And you mentioned Nick Bolton. So that all of a sudden you're starting to see some of the pieces come into place, and it's, you're, I'm going to be interested to see what Steve Spagnuolo is able to do with, uh, with all these different components and how they fit. All right. Chiefs obviously win the division last year. Uh, they were first place in the AFC West, and they have been a power uh, in that AFC West. Who could catch them? Well, Vegas, 10-7 and seven last year, and they made a huge splash in the offseason. Let's start with the uh, new quarterback uh, wide receiver tandem. Carr is back, but he's got a new toy to play with. And uh, how do we see him and Devontae Adams working out? Oh, I, I think uh, I mean I believe they go. They have a, a history that goes all the way back to to Fresno State. So I'm going to be really interested to see what that connection is able to do here at the pro level. I think that having a guy that in Devontae Adams that's the the best receiver in football until proven otherwise that you can throw the football to in uh, in tight windows and he's going to help in the red zone and open things up for everyone else on the field. Uh, I think that that is someone that 
um, it's going to immediately provide a boost to them in a big way, and that's really something that they need, obviously, from from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, you look at, uh, is that passing game a one-man band, or do you like, uh, I mean, you got Waller there as well. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of fun that Derek Carr could have in this offense. Well, you have Waller, who's obviously a game-changing tight end that you can move around formations. And you also have Hunter Renfro, who quietly had a really strong season last year, really good in the short to intermediate areas of the field. Very One of the best route runners in football, to be quite frank with you, and someone that is going to factor in on, on, on third downs, and he's very sure-handed. So he, he really has a, a multitude of weapons to, to utilize at his disposal. The, now it, the question remains, is he able to – they would make the best use out of these guys, right? I mean, Derek Carr is someone who has been who has impressed in spurts, but he has not really been consistent enough to really put it all together. And now he has the pieces around him to make things happen offensively. And now it's just the, the question remains: Is he going to be able to move the needle and move the offense forward to where they need to go? Yeah, and uh, you know, this is a team too that uh, Josh Jacobs has been kind of the guy there. What do you see uh, in the running game with uh, this Raiders team? Do we still feel uh, that that's an area? You know, Jacobs, uh, you know, kind of slowing down a little bit. I feel like uh, he's been hurt, banged up a little bit. Yeah, Jacobs is somebody that I expected a lot out of, uh, by especially by this point in, the, in his career. He was someone that I obviously had rated as the, as the top running back in his class, a volume guy, someone who has the speed and, and power, but also the finesse as well. I, I thought he was really well-rounded. I, I didn't know how he was going to transition as a pass catcher, but he has a very upright running style, which lends itself to, to bigger hits and, and uh, ball security concerns down the line. But I, I think ultimately... Uh, he's going to have to, if the, if the Raiders really want to be a well-balanced attack and provide Derek Carr with the adequate support and have a well-balanced offense, they need Josh Jacobs to be able to fill, to slide in as that top running back and um, and, and really provide that, that power element. Uh, the Vegas Raiders, uh, their defense, you know, last year we saw them against the Eagles. They got after it with Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. Those guys uh, are going to be an interesting combination as well now. You've got, uh, you know, a, a very... A unique kind of defense here. Jonathan Abram, a very good safety man. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what uh, this defense looks like because, you know, we saw them against Philly get to the quarterback, but they had their ups and downs last year. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. That, that, that's, a, that's a defense that's going to be sort of sort of streaky and not really consistent. But I, I tell you what, Max Crosby is a player that, that I really like, and I think he's really come into, come into his own quite nicely, of course, uh, he's a player that wasn't really, he sort of fell under the radar coming out of the draft, but he's really emerged. And I think that he really is their, their most consistent pass rusher and someone that I think can only get better, uh, when you look at what he's been able to do and what, where he's able to go. I think he's still. Sounds like we lost Andrew there. He might have just, uh, died out on us there. We'll try to get him back here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3. ESPN. He's uh, getting into our NFC, uh, our AFC West previews, looking at the Vegas defense. You talk about Crosby. Uh, they certainly remember that game against Philadelphia. They just got all over the quarterback in that game. That was the, probably the worst game that we saw Jordan Mailata play. Uh, they just got terrorized on the outside all day long. And he mentioned uh, Crosby. They got Rocky Sin out there as well. Uh, they also brought in uh, Trevor Moring as the uh, free safety, so they uh, drafted him in the draft. So 
this Vegas team because this is a highly competitive division, as we know. We got a division with these four quarterbacks, which we'll talk to Andrew about if we can reconnect uh, with him about you got those four quarterbacks. Derek Carr might be the fourth of the four quarterbacks uh, in this particular division. So let's bring Andrew back in. I think we got reconnected with him. We lost him right around. You were talking about Crosby uh, on that Vegas defense. Yeah, I, I think he's their most consistent pass rusher. And basically what I was saying is that I, I think he has room to grow, which is kind of scary when you think about it. I think he is very, he, he's yet to hit his ceiling. So I'm interested to see what he's able to do um, because he he keeps continuing on this natural progression. So um, he's someone that I'm really high on particularly. All right, Vegas 10-7, and seven, that's their defense. L.A., the Chargers, 9-8 and eight last year, third place. And a lot of people like this team a lot because they like the quarterback, uh, Justin Herbing, obviously, who uh, is a young player but ascending player quickly. And this is an interesting offense here. I'm kind of interested to see, uh, you know, what your overview is of this Chargers offense with Herbing uh, at, at the commands. Uh, Justin Herbert. I think oh, he had it mixed up with Nate, Nate Herbert. Nate Herbig, yeah, geez. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, Herbert, Justin uh, Herbert, my big. Good catch by you, by the way. Um, yeah, no, I, I uh, Justin Herbert, I, I think, is a player that has MVP potential this season. I, I, you started to see him really take a, you know, that big leap forward in, in year two, and, and I think that now he's really taken ownership of that offense. He, he runs things, you know, he has full command of it, uh, and I think he's able, there's not a single throw out there, Mike, that he can't make, and I, you really saw someone like, like a Mike Williams really help him out and, and emerge, really, as a player. Remember, Mike Williams is someone that's really struggled with injuries dating back to his time with Clemson. So I thought that he really broke out had his, and, and, and you saw, you started to see the connection develop there. Keenan Allen obviously is a court, any quarterback's dream is someone that can get open against any kind of coverage. You know where he's going to be at all times. He's very sure-handed. So, um, they have a really good pass catching, uh, tandem there. And then Josh Palmer, the wide receiver from Tennessee, was someone that was he was drafted in the third round in 2021 and he played a little bit last year but he's got some speed as well so they have a really good variety there as their top as far as their top three receivers go and they have a unique running back with Austin Eckler too I mean they and they use him very well yeah Austin Eckler is is and I hate the term underrated but I think he's sort of uh, someone that gets lost and overlooked a little bit when you look at the, the top running backs in football and. Um, I don't know that he'll ever be a volume guy, Mike. He's someone that has struggled with uh, soft tissue injuries and things of that nature. But when you're looking at, I, I think he would be ideally suited to pair with with a with a bigger bodied running back, a power guy, and work in tandem with that. But he is just a a mismatch that can catch the football. He has some power to him, some really good contact balance. And, and a nose for the end zone. So he has a very unique skill set, as you've outlined. And I think that when you're, when you're Justin Herbert and you're looking to, you know, you, you can sort of, you don't have to rely on, on his arm to make all the things happen for that offense. And, and you're able to, you know, that you have a competent running game and someone that could do a lot to help. He's also very good in pass protection as well. Uh, defense, they got names, Bosa, Mack. They brought in Van Noy as well. He's been a guy who, you know, has been a versatile uh, edge type of player. Kenneth Murray, good linebacker. J.C. Jackson. Uh, this is a team, Asante Samuel Jr. They've got uh, some definite talent on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, fast and athletic, right? I mean, I think that's the they, – they've drafted well in that area. And 
they've really started to slowly rebuild it that to sort of complement the offense that they currently have. So I think now what you're seeing is both the offense and defense are both up to speed and can play complementary football. Now they have a lot of young guys on offense. So the question now becomes how quickly can everyone get up to speed and get on the same page in jail? Because just simply, obviously, as you know, having the, the talent doesn't necessarily doesn't necessitate uh, having a, a strong unit, you know what I mean? But, I mean, I love Nasir Adderley, Asante Samuel uh, Jr., and Derwin, Derwin James is one of my favorite defensive players in the NFL when he's healthy, of course. And then they have some athletic linebacker and Drew Tranquil and Kenneth Murray. Joey Bosa is always a threat to be in the running for defensive player of the year seemingly every season. So um, I really like what they've done to, to sort of build that defense up from pretty much the bottom. Uh, Denver was last place last year. They finished 7-10. and 10. A lot of people really like this roster. They didn't like the quarterback. Well, they got Russell Wilson. What does Russell Wilson have to work with? Russell Wilson has a lot of guys to work with. You know, I, I think that uh, he, he has uh, – well, you wonder, you wonder what you're going to have there in, in Jerry Judy. But I, I think that uh, yeah, K.J. Hamler is there, Cortland Sutton. Um, so the, there's there's a lot of weapons to 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 sort of uh, utilize there that that he's going to have. So uh, I think he landed in a pretty good spot. They always, to me, seem to be a quarterback away from uh, from really taking taking things to the next level. So you kind of agree that this was the roster that was there. They were lacking the quarterback. So Russell Wilson, you mentioned, we'll see what happens with Judy, uh, Tim Patrick. Um, you know, that offense, is that an offense that is a quote-unquote Super Bowl talented enough offense? Yeah, especially with Russell Wilson uh, directing traffic. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I also don't want to leave out Javante Williams, the running back, who I believe is – going to really burst onto the scene and become more of a household name this season with an increased opportunity. They have a really well-rounded offense around Russell Wilson, and then you also have the dual threat ability from Russell Wilson himself. So, I mean, that's I don't. I don't necessarily like to like to put Super Bowl labels on things, especially as we sit here in, in June. But it, it's a good. It's a good offense. Uh- Good offense. How about the defense? Bradley Chubb. They got Randy Gregory. Uh, they brought in. Uh, they have Patrick Sertan over there. They brought in Ronald Darby. Jeffrey Simmons is a heck of a free safety. Jackson. It sounds like they got a lot of good pieces on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, particularly Simmons and Chubb are two guys that I really like that they have there. And uh, as far as Bradley Chubb, I, unfortunately, he's 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 had uh, some injuries that he's dealt with, but I think that he will have an opportunity, and we mentioned Joey Bosa just a moment ago. I think Bradley Chubb has the potential to be one of those double-digit sack guys that's going to, uh, that should, that will eventually be mentioned up there with the upper echelon pass rushers in, in, the, in the league. And Simmons is a great center fielder uh, at safety there, Justin Simmons. And, I mean, he, he really burst onto the scene a couple years ago and became more of a household name, and he's really been steady. I mean, when I look at safeties that don't really get the, the props that they deserve. I, I look at a guy like Kevin Byard with the Titans, and I look at a guy like Justin Simmons. Really solid players that can do a lot and, and really step up from a, and really shine from a leadership uh, perspective. All right. Uh, Andrew Checo Football 4, as we ask you uh, to go through these teams, how do you rank the AFC West in 2022? Uh, 
Well, let's see. I, I like the I like the Chiefs. Then I like the actually. You know what? No, the <laughs> Chiefs' reign is, is over. I'm going. I'm going Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos. Raiders. Wow. All right. Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders finishing in last. A big little mix, uh, a mix up from last year where the Chiefs have been as you just kind of pivoted. Nope. Uh, you say the rain is over. You got Mahomes. You've got Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, and Justin Herbert, not Nate Herbig, playing quarterback uh, <laughs> in that division as well. Four great quarterbacks, uh, a lot of good teams. This division should be a lot of fun, and that's how he ranks them. Andrew DeCecco, football at four, insidethebirds.com here on the Sports Bash. All right, good one there, Andrew. Appreciate it, bud. You're welcome, man. Talk soon. All right. Uh, next week, we will get into the NFC side of things. We'll stay out west and work our way east. We'll go to the NFC West next week when we do our division previews here on Football at Four with Andrew DeCecco here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Mike Gill with you. We got you till 6 o'clock tonight. And uh, don't forget, we got the draft tonight on 97.3 ESPN. You can only hear the draft in one spot, it's 97.3 ESPN. You can only win a grill in one spot. Win Gill's Grill through the app. You got to have the app. That's the only spot you can win the grill. Open up the app. Click on Win Gill's Grill. Fill out the form. And if I call your name tomorrow at 5 o'clock, you're winning my grill. It's all thanks to the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. And the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Get it now. Thanks to First Bank of Sea Isle. Back to the ESPN. All right, 4.30 Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll get you the headlines in just a second here. Got some fun stories for you. Bash is brought to you by American Airlines and the Atlantic City International Airport. ACY now has your... One-stop ticket to over 90 domestic and international destinations. Book your next trip today at aa.com. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Josh Henning's my producer as we take a look at some of the top stories that are going on. I imagine uh, most people are going to be locked into the draft tonight as well. No hockey. Yeah, that crazy game last night. So uh, it's kind of a, well, you got the Phillies on the West Coast too tonight. So you got that going on as well. So uh, what are some of the stories that I might have missed today? So this happened while you were doing football at four with the checkup. Woj and then Shams follow up. The latest on the Kyrie Irving front might involve the 76ers. Whoa. According to the latest Woj bomb, if Kyrie Irving can't reach an agreement to stay with Brooklyn Nets, he has a list of teams he'd like them to consider on a side-in-trade, including the Lakers, the Clippers, the Knicks, the Heat, the Mavs, and the 76ers. All right, this is interesting. So the other night I'm driving home from practice, and I'm listening to some conversating about this. So apparently, you know, most people assume that it was Harden and Kyrie that didn't get along. Well, according to this conversation, and I don't remember where it was or who it was or how this came out, apparently it was Harden and 
Durant that didn't see eye to eye. Right, because there were reports that basically Harden was like, look, I came here to win a championship. I came here to join you guys. Then Kyrie was out because he didn't have the, the vac shot. And then Harden was not too happy about that. And basically Durant picked Kyrie over Harden. And that created a divide between Kevin and James. Gotcha. So would Kyrie want to re-team up with James Harden? I mean, if you believe those reports, then no. If you believe what Harden and Kyrie say, they both have said, hey, we had no problem with each other. Okay. Because then as soon as Harden got traded to Philadelphia, there became those new reports that Harden couldn't get along with Steve Nash. Mm -hmm. So there's also reports out there that Nash and Kyrie don't see eye to eye. So, but then didn't Kyrie and Durant were the ones who said they wanted Nash because they didn't want a traditional coach. They wanted a, a guy who they could see eye to eye with. So the whole, basically the whole thing is like a Jenga tower. Yeah. And we're just pulling the blocks I'm out like, every just day. just get this over with, right? Tell me where you're, tell me where I'm playing. Now, there's more to this. Okay, but before we get to more. Yes. Do you even want Kyrie? No. What are you giving up to get Kyrie? I mean, what do you have now? What are you giving up? The only contract that makes sense is Harris's. Right. Does the do the Nets want Harris? Does Kevin Durant say, hey, listen, I'll take Harris. Doubtful. Well, doubtful. I'll get to Durant and make it the Durant side of this, too, yeah. as well. Um, but third, basically, does Kyrie, yeah. Maxie, and Harden work? No. It's one of the worst defensive teams in history. Yeah, I would say that Maxie and Kyrie are duplicitous players. They're kind of the same guy. I would say maybe Maxie is... I mean, Kyrie, to be fair... Oh, he's a better player. If you need one guy... No, I forget. I'm not saying comparing those two. Oh, okay. I'm saying if you had Kyrie Irving on your team along with Joel Embiid, you better get a bucket in the last moment of the game. You have one of the best bucket getters of all time. I mean, you could argue that Kyrie is a better scorer than James Harden is at this point in their careers. But I would say that Harden is the better assist man than Kyrie is. And I would say Maxie, Maxie's probably going to give you a better effort consistently on defense than Kyrie is. That's fair, right? Yeah, I mean, he's going to try. That's what I mean, effort. I, I don't need you to be a lockdown defender. I need you to give, you a, give, me a, give me a hope and a prayer. That's what I'm saying. I, he's going to try. I don't know that Guy Reed's going to give you. Now, back to also what Woj was reporting. Woj pointed out that the Nets have to help Kyrie if he's going to leave them because of the sign-and-trade situation. Woj goes on to say, those teams who Kyrie has interest in, but he isn't necessarily a priority for all of them, according to Woj. Woj goes on to say... That apparently some of the teams that Kyrie has on his wish list might not be jumping at the opportunity to join him. What's that? Or who's that? He didn't specify. Oh. Now, the other part of this is Durant. Woj finalizes it by saying that this right now is the sum of the Nets franchise deepest fears. Kyrie walks and then Durant wants a trade. Which brings in Shams. Shams' latest report says that Kevin Durant is monitoring the net situation regarding the uncertainty surrounding Kyrie and the future of the franchise. And that his decision to monitor the franchise could open a path for the Nets to make multiple moves 
this offseason, which people are sort of joking that see what happens when you acquire Ben Simmons? Yeah. Well, here's my thought on this when I was hearing a little bit of the rumblings about Durant is that did Ben Simmons rub everybody such the wrong way that they all want to get away from him? <laughs> I mean, Ben right now is out fishing, apparently, if you believe Instagram. I saw that. But seriously, though. Like, I want to know who the random dude behind him is, though. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but seriously, did they say, my God, this guy Simmons is such a wackadoodle. We can't play with him. What were we thinking? Get right. me out of here. Because he's signed for three more years. Now, if you believe the reporting, the issue between Kyrie and the Nets comes down to money. Shams reiterates that Kyrie has a June 29th deadline on his $36.9 million player option. Durant is already signed through 25-26. But that if Kyrie doesn't opt into his deal, Durant, and I will reference the point that Shans makes, quote, monitoring the Nets situation. Here's the issue that they had in the first place. They chose the Nets to do all this. <laughs> right? If you're going to try to pair up and be a super team somewhere, you don't pick the Nets. But you know why they picked the Nets? Because they were the easiest to manipulate. Come on. You, you, if you know they would have picked a, a stable franchise that, you know, had some entrenched GM or some entrenched coach that couldn't be pushed around, they wouldn't be able to do half this stuff, right? Well, they end up going to Brooklyn. It's turned into a disaster. They haven't, uh, you know, they can't get out of the first round. They get swept this year. Could get out of the second round. Last year. By the way, you can blame Durant's foot all you want. But the real reason why they get it out of the, out of the round last year was because Kyrie and Harden were both hurt. And Durant was trying to carry the band of misfit toys to the finals. Well, and it's like goes to show like, you know, hey, we put all our eggs in these three players basket and you can't win with three players. By the way, look at what the Warriors just did. Look at the Lakers did before that. Look at the Bucks did before that. You're seeing the idea of a super team is becoming less important as having a good team with high-level talent. Look at the Bucks last year. Look, Giannis is MVP. But you know who was in a lot of those clutch buckets? Me. It was, <laughs> well, it was Middleton. It was Holiday. It was Brooke Lopez. It was all these other randos or all-stars around him. Look at LeBron and AD when they won in the bubble. They had, they had a really good supporting cast. People forget how good Rondo played in those playoffs. I got a story for you. Story time. Uh, Arch Manning shocks mm -hmm. the college football world by making a commitment to Texas. That's Are right. the Longhorns now back, baby? Uh, I've been hearing the Longhorns are back for about 15 <laughs> years. Here's the deal. For me, Mike, I was reading about this this morning when I was, well, you know where I was today. <laughs> um, the, the Arch Manning decision came down to apparently Steve Sarkeesian, is what a lot of people are rumbling. That Sark sold Manning and said, look, we can run the kind of offense that amplifies you. Look at my background with quarterbacks at Alabama at USC, at Washington. And you're better than all of them. 
And it seems like the pitch worked. Because realistically, you know, the problem for Alabama is they've had so many different offensive coordinators, nobody knows who's in charge half time anymore. Yeah. You know, you look at some of the other teams that were in conversation for him, and none of them have the resources of Texas, really. I'm not talking about, you know, Georgia winning a national championship, but Arch Manning can't play immediately at Georgia because of who's already there. So it seems like two things were kind of like meeting at the at the junctions of different realities here. I think Arch Manning wants to play as soon as possible, and he wanted to play for a coach who runs an offense that makes sense for him. Well, it's not like Texas is like some under-the-radar place. No. It's not like he chose to go to Vanderbilt. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know? Like, if he would have said, I'm in the SEC, He's but not Tim Couch of Kentucky. True, right. Like, if I'm in the SEC, but I'm going to Vanderbilt, that's that's news. Mm-hmm. You took the easy way out and said, ah, I'll go to Texas. I want one of these guys one of these years to be the guy who changes stuff. Thought Arch Manning might have done it. Like, Virginia was on his list. They were. If he would have gone to Virginia, that would have been sh- shocking. But could Texas he... is not shocking. But, Mike, let me ask you this. What if Arch Manning says, I'm the guy who brings Texas back? Maybe. Was that supposed to be, what's his name? What was the guy before him? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> they had that freshman that won that uh, Rose Bowl a couple years ago, didn't he? Uh, Ash? No. Uh, what the heck was his name? I'm going I'm to look up who it was. Sam. Sam Ellinger? Ellinger. Oh, Sam Ellinger with the Colts now. Yeah. When he oh. was a freshman, they won a right. big bowl game. And then they're like, oh, Texas is back. I mean, look, Ellinger was only... The problem with Texas isn't... It wasn't Ellinger. The problem was everybody else around him. That, you know, that was... That was... It was Charlie Strong's recruits picked up by Tom Herman, and then he got Ellinger. So, it was a whole mess anyway. Basically, by the way, I'm reading... I'm trying to find the quote from The Athletic that I read earlier. I'll find it real quick for you. But basically, the Athletic is reporting that Sarkeesian prioritized Manning over every other prospect. He was the only quarterback the Longhorns offered any deal to, while Alabama took commitments from fellow Louisianans Eli Holstein, and Georgia also offered to others as well. Sarkeesian made it clear to Manning, and it was public, that there was nobody else competing for the job. I mean... What do you have to lose? Put all your eggs in that basket. That's what ended up getting it for you. You're Arch Manning, though. I mean, come on. You have you could you control the, the narrative here. Hey, you know what? Maybe maybe there's something to be said with the fact that you know Sark knew what buttons to push with this guy. You know, maybe he he found the key to his psyche. I don't know. I'm interested. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, is this the most like? the biggest, most talked about high school player since who? I feel like every week I was having to see alerts on my phone about this guy. Good question. I'm trying to remember who was like the last highly, this highly uh, discussed prospect come out of high school. I mean, if you want to go overall, I mean, was it LeBron? It was basketball, but it wasn't football. 
LeBron was on every show for a while. Yeah, I mean, I feel like basketball is different. You always have these high school kids. Mm-hmm. Because they get drafted out of high school. They were able to get drafted out of high school. Not anymore. Right. Football, a little different. The fact that it's Manning's The fact, the fact that it's Manning's kid right. is really what the, the conversation is. It's a Manning, you know? If it, like, all right, so let's talk about the, uh, I'll just bring it up real quick. JT Daniels, who's now at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. When he came out and went to USC, it was a massive deal because he was a five-star recruit. He was the number one recruit in that class. Then he went to Georgia, by the way. Then he went to, but before he went to Georgia. But, but the point is, is that unless you were following college football, like people like me, you didn't really know who JT Daniel no. was. But guess what? People know who Arch Manning is because he's the Manning and social media and TikTok and all these other things. Like I, I feel like social media has amplified. Some of this stuff, haven't yeah, they? definitely, definitely. No, and look, um, there was the whole thing last year where on the Manning cast mm-hmm. they were asking Peyton where he's going. He yep. said West Virginia because right. uh, who was the guest? Yeah, I'm trying to remember who the guest was, but they talked about. It. I remember that that because oh, it was uh, it was McAfee. McAfee, yes, he because, had McAfee well, on McAfee about was funny. a West Virginia guy. Yeah. And he told McAfee, yeah, you know, he's considering WVU. And then McAfee went on his radio show and went nuts about it. Yeah, and that was just like he went crazy. Yeah. By the way, also in the Athletic article, it says, Manning and his family love Austin. Arch even said that reminded him of his hometown, New Orleans. I don't think I've ever heard Austin compared to New Orleans. I hear it's a great town. Very uh, progressive. I've heard it's a great town. I just never heard it compared to New Orleans. Mm. I've been to New Orleans a couple times. Which but, town do you like better? I've never been to Austin. So oh, okay. I can't, I can't. I can't compare. Do you want to go to Austin? Yeah, I'd like to go. My roommate from college was there recently. Said it was yeah, a good time. Nice. Yeah. Well, maybe one of these days you can go down and watch Arch Manning play at Texas. This whole uh, story about the sports books—they are trying to keep up with the Woj bombs. <laughs> you know, every time he tweets something, that the the the, uh, the odds on the draft keep changing. Right reading about how much they've changed all day. These wild changes in Jabari Smith's odds to go number one overall. Like, if you're betting that, um, the, the boards today, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and um, Paulo Bancharo are one, two, and three. So the line's moving all over the place. Bonchero was four, plus 440. He went down to minus 210, then back up to plus plus. 1,000 in 12 hours. I mean, who made the bet on Banchero to move the line that much? Who got the information? Right. Where where did this all come from? Here's here's my question to you, Mike, really quick. Um, If you're the Magic, who do you want? Eh, I don't know. I don't know that any of these three... I, I'd probably like Banchero the best. That's just me. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll do more draft in the uh, 5 o'clock hour. Stick around. More Sports Bash on the way. Now, back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 452. Uh, do we have a... Uh, nah, Phillies are too late tonight to have a lineup today. Uh, you mentioned it in the headlines there. According to Shams, Kevin Durant is monitoring the Brooklyn Nets situation. He's considering options with his future. Woj, if Kyrie can't reach an agreement to stay with Brooklyn, he has a list of teams 
he'd like them to consider on a sign and trade. Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavs, Sixers. None of those teams have the cap space to sign them without the Nets' help. Um, This feels like one of those situations like Ben Simmons, where Ben Simmons, you know, oh, you heard, uh, he doesn't want to play with the Sixers anymore. You're like, all right, whatever. He just signed a four-year deal. Like, maybe he doesn't want to play, but whatever. And you didn't really make a big deal of it because it was the offseason. And you're like, ah, they'll figure it out. It'll go away. Like, whatever. Ben, after that game in Houston, apparently told the front office he didn't want to be there anymore. And I think a lot of us just didn't take it all that serious until it got really serious. Do the Nets want to go through a situation that the Sixers went through last year where they had a malcontent who didn't want to play and then have two of them and have them both sitting there saying, oh, I don't want to play then. How about that? Has Ben Simmons infiltrated the Nets and said to those guys, listen, sit out, dude. You don't want to be here? Do what I did. Do those guys even talk to Ben Simmons? Well, if this is the case, (laughs) if this is the case, though, the NBA's got a real big problem on your hand. That they set the precedent that they let Ben Simmons get away with this, and now others are saying, well, I don't want to play here. I'll just sit out. These guys all have enough money. They don't need this paycheck. Oh, yeah, wait till it hits you in the pocketbook. When you're making the money Kevin Durant's made, now, I mean, yeah, sure, some of these guys could be absolutely uh, horrible spenders. Right, they could be like Phil Mickelson and gamble $40 million. Sure, I mean, maybe some of them have money issues. I have no idea, but, you know, on the surface, if I have that kind of money sitting out a year, it doesn't matter. I mean, theoretically, if I got, I mean, what Kevin Durant makes, I don't need to work again. Yeah, you just, as, as long as you put your money away in the right places, you, know, you yeah. can live off of it. Uh, I like Paul Hudrick's tweet 40 seconds ago. Seen a lot of people referencing my report of Tyrese Maxey being virtually untouchable. I feel confident a player like Kevin Durant becoming available is why the virtually qualifier <laughs> is needed. <laughs> right? You now you're trading Maxey for Durant, right? Of course you are. Yeah, that's a totally different conversation. The silly season, it's here. I mean, I would literally just text him with Brian Pork who's going to be tomorrow on uh, game day. I'm like, I'm so glad you're coming on the show tomorrow because by tomorrow, some of this craziness will be cleared up a little bit after the draft. What was I thought Pork was reporting something. Oh, he was confirming uh, him Him and Hudrick were reporting the same thing. That you know, the Sixers, they're not going to trade. Um, they're not going to trade like Thibault or any of these guys to make room for Tucker. That the idea of getting Tucker is separate from trading those guys. Well, we got to get more into this Durant and Kyrie because this is this is getting ridiculous. Bonkers. You like the word bonkers, by the way. Bonkers is okay. Okay. You like silly season better than bonkers? It depends. Depends what kind of mood I'm in. What mood are you in? I'm in a silly season kind of mood. Ah. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, wild news in the NBA seems to be happening. You know, last year around this time, we heard about Ben Simmons. You know, he didn't want to play for the Sixers, and we didn't know what to think of it. This guy just signed a contract. And now, Kyrie, Kevin Durant... 
basically are following suit. If Kevin Durant were to demand a trade, that would start a ripple effect. And I, I, I open with cruel summer here because this summer could be a cruel summer for the Brooklyn Nets. The irony that Ben Simmons gets traded to Brooklyn and somehow could have his own team there. That would be a turn of events, wouldn't it? Hey, Ben, welcome aboard. You got Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And now, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where they are both gone and you're there by yourself. So Ben Simmons uh, is a trendsetter and everybody's following suit and he could be left by himself there. So, all right, here's the stories. If you're just tuning in on your drive home from work, this is the Sports Bash Live. Woj tweeted, if Kyrie can't get an agreement to stay with Brooklyn, he has a list of teams he would like a trade to. The Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, Heat, Mavericks, and Sixers. They're the teams that he lists. So the Sixers on the list. Follow that up with Shams basically saying, all right, well, if Kyrie wants out, then I'm going to monitor the situation and I might want out. I got this to add. Where is the NBA CBA? Because this is going to be an agreement. This is going to be an epic battle at the table at the next CBA. You cannot have the precedent that Ben Simmons has set. And now, if it starts proliferating all the way through the league to all your league's top stars, this is a bad look all the time. However, does the NBA actually like it that all this news and all these rumors and all this conversation and all this is circling through? I think it's a catch-22 because on one hand, yes, if you're the NBA, you want the spotlight. You want the news on you. You want everyone talking about you 365, 24-7. On the flip side, I think the owners hate it. I think the league office loves it because of the publicity. All publicity is good publicity. But don't you think, Mike, the owners hate it because they're like, we gave you a contract. You agreed to this deal. You agreed to be here. Ben Simmons, you said you wanted to be here. Now you don't want to fulfill your contract? I Look, it was not a good precedent to set last year. They let Ben Simmons get away with this. He sat out. He eventually got his way. He got traded. And now, because of that, you could have a spot. Now, no one's saying Kyrie or Kevin Durant are saying they're going to sit out. No, they would just force their way out. Well, they're trying to force their way out. But what if the... I don't want to say what if the Nets don't acquiesce here, but... What if you're in a situation where the Nets just say, fine, both of you sit out? I don't think the Nets will do that. Though. I don't think so either. But, you know, the Sixers did it. Yeah, but they also have a Joel Embiid to fall back on. If Durant and Kyrie both try to force the hand, the Nets are left with nobody. Right. I mean, look, I, I don't see a situation nope. where they both sit out and the Nets let them both sit out. I mean, but. Nobody's coming to the Barclay to see Ben Simmons. Oh, man. It, this is just unbelievable. I mean, you got, the, you got the most trash arena in terms of what people actually caring about your team. They only come for the superstars. And now, if you have a possibility where both Durant and Kyrie are not there, who's going to that? The Marlins fans? I, I don't even think that that matters, to be honest with you. I think if the Brooklyn Nets, they're not going to sit here and say, hey, we're going to not... We're going to do X because we might not get fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. Like They've come this far with what they've done. They were a terrible team before this all happened. 
Sure. And they try to do a rebuild to try to have the talent to build around when they bring in a superstar and then trade away half that talent they build up to go get hearted. I'm just perplexed by all this. Like, literally, this is all happening in real time. Hey, Kyrie wants to get traded, and the Sixers are one of the teams he's interested in. Like, to me, I am trying to get inside the minds and the depths, which is hard to do, of Kyrie Irving. I call Kyrie the most interesting man in the NBA. Well, that being said, what came across his mind that he would be like, you know what? Sixers. That's a team I'd be interested in playing on. Well, was he that close with James Harden? Is there another connection on the Sixers? Is it Joel and B that he wants to play with? Well, I do know this. I've read a lot of reports that, and I've heard Kyrie talk about this on his infamous Instagram lives that he likes to do randomly. So apparently, Kyrie loves being around home. Home is North Jersey, New York area. Mm-hmm. So maybe to him, he looks at a team like the Sixers and says, "You know what? I don't have to go far to play there." It's not like I'm traveling across country. Yes, I, I mean, but there's other teams on the list that aren't near home. Right. Well, maybe there's a reason why for each team. You know, maybe he looks at the Lakers and says, LeBron's there. I've already made amends with him. I, I'll pick Miami because who doesn't want to go play in Miami with no sales tax at the pay down there? You know, to me, there's benefits to all the teams on that list uh, in terms of either life. Because Kyrie loves his lifestyle and the the life he lives more than he just – Loves. He's not a pure I love basketball guy. Kyrie has said himself, there is more to life than basketball. Yeah, well, that's the problem is you can't invest what he's worth because he's not invested. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's he's what the Nets worth, are saying. As a player, you would say he's a max player. But as a <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad human being. I'm just saying as an employee, he's not worth it. Right. Well, I mean, that's what Bobby Marks was saying. And I forget which ESPN radio show it was, but a couple days ago he was saying on ESPN radio that, listen, you know, the Nets, they want to give Kyrie a contract that basically forces him to show up. I need to make a contract so you actually show up to work. Yeah. But that's that's what they're in with Kyrie. Remember, Kyrie's the same guy. It's it's not just the Vax stuff. That's the thing that was the most recent. Oh, the Vax stuff's not even in the front part of my mind when I'm thinking about this. Well, for some people it is. Um, but it goes back to, for example, you know, when the incident happened in Washington on January 6th, Kyrie said, I need a few days off. I can't handle this. When there was that shooting that happened in Kentucky. With um, uh, what's that? Brianna Taylor, he said, "I need some take some time off to be with my family." Okay, there are things happening in the real world that affected Kyrie enough to say, "I need to take time off from basketball." We're not talking about the birth of a child. We're not talking about you know uh, a death in the family. We're talking about things that are not directly connected to him. That he has said, I need time away from basketball to get my head right. Right. Um, This was Bobby Marks on, oh boy, earlier today he was on Greeny, asked if if KD has any leverage in this situation. Here's what Bobby Marks said. Probably the only leverage would be to make it extremely uncomfortable for this organization if Irving isn't here. And he, I won't say publicly asked, to be out but makes it known that he does not want to be it and it just becomes a you know a, a new story that hangs over this organization for a long long time similar to what we saw with Carmelo Anthony back in 2010 so from a from a leverage standpoint no he's not an, an expiring contract but as you guys know when a player wants out 
uh, and makes it known, it, it, it becomes a, a very uncomfortable situation for everyone. So, jeez. <laughs> I love that last line. A very uncomfortable situation for everyone. Right. By the way, how do you feel about uh, Paolo Banchero's outfit there? Not a fan. I am not a fan of that look. That is just way too... I'm I'm dressing for the backup dancer role in the Prince video. Yeah, I would say that that look is uh, one he'll regret when he goes back and watches this video. Is that going to be like the Jalen Rose suit? <laughs> they always show I mean, in. Look, I, I, a lot of these guys dress very loud and flashy on this night, and I think when they get older, they probably look back and say, "Why did I do that?" But they're young kids at this point. Yeah, he's got that. Uh, uh, <laughs> look at the initials. I mean, good grief. I mean, just for that alone, I'm saying I'm not drafting you. <laughs> if you're the if you're the magic right now, you're like I'm out. What is that? P, it's a it's a P and a five. Is it, it a five like. or an S? It looks like a P five or something. I don't know. Good grief! Yeah. Um, Sorry, I got distracted by that suit. It was a bad suit, but I mean, it's purple and it has like like bedazzles. It's got bling on it. And then he's got the and then he's got the necklace with the P and the five in between all. Yeah, of I don't it. know what the P five represents. Did, am I missing something? Did he wear five at Duke? I don't remember. I'm gonna look it up real quick. Uh, so that was Bobby Markson. If KD has any leverage with the Nets, <laughs> and you know he's, a, but that's the thing. Bobby Marks, the front office guy, and you know, and he's saying, eh, I don't really think so, unless he wants to make things difficult. Well, he, of course he you, did wear five at Duke. All right. Well, so. Of course he wants to try to make things difficult if he has to. What right. the hell does he care? Yeah, he doesn't like, care you about get the to this level, they don't care if it's an... Like, how many people out there listening, you know, get a new job, and then they get like, you know, um, they don't want to go tell their current employer that they're leaving. Like, you get nervous. Like, oh, my God, I don't even know what I'm gonna, how I'm going to tell these people I'm leaving. That's not Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant doesn't care that he has to go to the owners and be like, yo, man, I'm leaving. He relishes in the fact that he gets to tell the Nets that he wants to leave. Oh, these athletes love the fact that they have some say in their, in what happens to them in their careers. Because they look at the guys before them, they're like, they didn't have this power, I do. It's one of those things where, yeah, a lot of times ownership gets to a situation where they become so chummy with the player that the player then feels that they have the power over the ownership group. And many times they're not wrong. Uh, this is what Chris Carlin said this morning on why it would be an awful move for KD if he wants out of Brooklyn. If Kevin Durant is going to tell the Nets, trade me, if Kyrie Irving is leaving... And he means it. And this is not just an idle threat. His legacy will be intact. It will be the most gutless move in the history of professional sports. And we discussed how he can't do this yesterday. But, Chris, when I heard that from Woj, that is KD in every way trying to extort the Nets into taking all of that money and paying Kyrie Irving. And it's inexcusable. Um... That's a lot right there, man. I think gutless is a little extreme. I think Carl went a little over the top there. But I understand where he's coming from. His position sounds like to me, Mike, that Carlin is like, look, you know, you you, you got to stop. 
you know, manipulating the situation to benefit you all the time and your buddies. The NBA has to step in here and do something. You can't keep letting this happen. This is a ridiculous circus. Uh, Woj, what kind of leverage does KD have? He wouldn't get to decide anything, really. He'd have four years on his deal. So you talk to teams out there, the Nets would have the leverage in that because anywhere you trade him, he's got to play. And so whether it's a market, the, the Nets, there wouldn't really be a motivation or a leverage to be able to send you where you want to go. Now, if the player had one year on his deal or two years on his deal and could say to, you know, of course, say to a team that would trade for him, you can trade for me, but I'm going to leave in free agency. Don't give up too many assets for me. Well, when you got four years on your deal, they know you have to come play. And so teams are going to give significant assets to do a deal. And so if you're Brooklyn, you're going to do the best deal. That may not be where you want to play if you're Kevin Durant. So that's an interesting point. He's saying, look, these teams would line up to make offers for Durant, and that means Durant can't pick where he wants to go because you're going to have all these teams saying, well, we'll give you X, Y, and Z, and then the Brooklyn Nets are in a situation where they just pick the best deal. And I think that's the worst-case scenario for Durant. I think Durant's ultimate play is he's trying to force the Nets to sign his buddy. He said, look, I came here because of Kyrie. You're going to keep Kyrie, right? Right? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, and if I'm the Nets, you almost have to fire back and say, we listened to you before, and yet it didn't work out. The problem is, is that, you know, it's an organization like the Nets, without Kyrie and KD, they're nothing. I mean, you could trade Durant for You can argue that with them, they're nothing. They got swept in the first round of the playoffs. That's true, but... You know, how much of that was because they went out and acquired Ben Simmons. Hey, listen, I know play. they had a lot of weird situations this year, but in when push comes to shove in the end in the playoffs, you had Durant and you had Kyrie and you got swept. You did. and But is that the players? Is that the coach? For whatever, but that's whatever my point is. You have these guys and you're not, you're not relevant, right? You have, sure. you have what, what, Kevin Durant asked for, go, I want to play with this guy. You got this guy. They went and did what you asked for. We got Kyrie Irving. You have this guy. You had him together. You played in the playoffs. You got swept. We listened to you. You got James Harden. That didn't work out, right? We went out and got James Harden. That didn't work out. So are you saying that the real power play then is the Nets trying to vanquish themselves of the mess? Well, I mean, the Nets could say, listen, we went down the Kevin Durant road. It didn't work out. We're backing out of this thing. But as Woj just said, he's got four years left on his deal. Similar to the whole Ben Simmons situation. You got four years left in your deal. You're going to say, oh, I want out? I mean, if we live in a world where Ben Simmons is the only guy left in Brooklyn at the end of all this, how hilarious would that be? Uh, this would be the repercussions for Kyrie if he got traded from Woj. If Kyrie Irving were to take a, be willing to take a significant pay cut, $30 million, $35 million, if he uh, potentially next season of a pay cut to go, let's say, hypothetically take a $6 million exception, which would what would be available with the Lakers, or you know, take a, uh, a mid-level exception with the Knicks, which is significantly less than his opt-in with Brooklyn, well, he can do that. I mean, Kyrie the mercenary. Now, now he wants to take less money. Are you? If you're Kyrie, you want to be the next NBA mercenary? Just like I'm, just going to go to all the teams and I'm just going to go ring chasing. It just doesn't. Like what set him off? I mean, not that I think anybody can. 
well, it, get inside his head. But the fact that he'd be willing to take a huge pay cut just to get out of the Brooklyn situation seems like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What went, much like the Sixers thing with Ben Simmons, whoa, whoa, whoa. What went so wrong here? Well, if you go by the Shams report the other day, it's the fact that it's the non-guaranteed money is a problem. That the Nets are trying to be like, look, you want your money, we need you to play. You know, remember within Joel B with his contract, he had to play X number of games in order to get some of those guarantees, right? Well, he got those guarantees. Mm-hmm. He played X number of games. Apparently, the Nets trying to do a similar deal with Kyrie, but except for injury reasons, right. it's for non-basketball reasons. Yeah, they want you basically to show up to work. Right. So they're, they're trying to incentivize him to show up and play, and Kyrie's like, no, I, I want my guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, I'm just going to throw this extra curveball in. Kyrie has been a member of the MBPA in recent years. He's been on the board of the players who've been negotiating with the league. So he's well aware of some of these rules and some of these contract stipulations and things. So, you know, Kyrie actually might have a hand up in the situation dealing with the Nets that maybe, you know, another player might not. Right. Flabbergasting, if you ask me. Uh, This whole situation is rolling down. How could Kyrie put pressure on the Nets? This is from Brian Windhorst. There's a very, very exclusive restaurant in Los Angeles. It's a rooftop restaurant in Brentwood, and it's at LeBron James' house. And last summer, when DeMar DeRozan and Damian Lillard and eventually Russell Westbrook met with LeBron as they were con- the Lakers were considering their big move, the move was to come and meet with LeBron at his rooftop, which sometimes makes its way into social media. The Nets feel, obviously, some level of comfort about their position. There is a concern in Brooklyn that Kyrie, because he's not a conventional thinker, Kyrie could be, you know, inventive enough to leave the money on the table to go play with the Lakers and reunite with LeBron. But he would really have to rattle the saber there. And so I think it would take something, some sort of story or photo or some sort of leak that would ratchet up the pressure on Brooklyn. Because at the end of the day, Kyrie knows that the Nets have caved to him before. He has stared them down and gotten what he's wanted before. The Nets are attempting to reset that scenario because they feel they've got leverage in this situation by getting a contract that they want. Kyrie now has to grapple with that. So, Jeez, there's a lot there. Well, the whole situation where he's saying, look, he's already stared them down and beat them. You know, he didn't get vaccinated. He only played in or he didn't play in any games on they the road. He only played away games. Well, no, he didn't play any at first. And right. then they then basically he played said, the away games. right, they said, we're not good enough. We got to bring you out. Right. And then New York City changed the rules. He could play at home. Uh, <laughs> listen, there is something something like what Brian said there about the fact that Kyrie is not a conventional thinker. And, you know, part of this might just him being trying to angle the situation. You know what I mean? Uh, listen, I, I let me ask you this question, Mike. Go for it. If Kyrie Irving became like the maverick of the NBA, the guy just is like, I'm going to go wherever I feel like from year to year. How does that change your perception of his career? I don't think. It's a good question, but I don't think that any of this changes the perception of anyone's career anymore because this is the, this is the world we live in. If we're going in thinking that you're getting Michael Jordan playing for the Bulls, Larry Bird, I know he went to the Wizards, but he's a Bull, and that's all we know him as. 
Larry Bird playing for the Celtics, Magic Johnson playing for the Lakers, and so on and so forth. If we think that that's the way that it's going to be, it's just not that anymore. These guys don't care about that. They don't care that, hey, you're the team that drafted me. They have no self-pride in representing the team that drafted them. Now it's, well, so what that you drafted me? I'm out for me. Before it was, hey, you had this appreciation that after all this work you put in through middle school and high school, and then if you were lucky enough to play in college, right, that you got drafted. And you had this, like, that was the crowning moment of what all this work that you did for free, right? You put in all this time and all this work for free to finally be able to get paid for all of the time, blood, sweat, and tears that you put in. And this is where all of the stuff that happens before you get to the pros has now... It's like I was watching Back to the Future 2 last night. It has created an alternate universe of the way that this is supposed to happen. You know, we want the college players to get paid because... They deserve to get paid because they're getting exploited. And, you know, at some point, I guess you're going to say, well, the high school players, they should get paid, too. And what are we going to do next? Like, well, if high school players get paid, why not seventh and eighth graders? Why don't they get paid? Right. Because this happens. This is the result of allowing these guys to have all of the opportunities that are out there. We always look at it like having these opportunities are great, and they're all getting better, and this is making you better, and this is all this basketball. I think what it's created is just chaos because now these guys at 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, they are setting the agenda the way they want it at such an early age so that when they get to the professionals, finally, which is supposed to be the apex of all this time, all this work, all of this stuff that I put in, that now I'm getting paid for it. And I'm appreciative of that. The lack of appreciation is out the window because they set the terms when they're 12, 13, 14 years old and they get away with it. There's your issue. And that's not going away. So... No, to answer your question. <laughs> right? To answer your question, no. Coming back to the original question. And that's why. I don't think these guys care one bit if they get drafted by a team and if they finish with that team. Because throughout their life, they played for a team. They didn't like this coach. They went and formed a new team. I didn't like that team. I went and played on that team. How many times do these guys change teams through the course of their growing up instead of just, hey, I'm forced to play for this team. I have no choice. This is where I'm growing up. This is the team I have to play for. No, I can just go wherever and play wherever I want. And now Kyrie, that's what he knows. Growing up, wherever he grew up, North Jersey, I don't have to play for this team. I'll go play for wherever I want. And that's a society that we have created, good or bad. I guess it gives people opportunities. I guess it allows people to 
find where they want to play, but we've created it everything. You just mentioned JT Daniels. That guy started at USC, didn't get his way, went to Georgia, didn't get his way there. Now he's at West Virginia. I don't get my way. I'll just go to someplace else. The lack of appreciation, the lack of the climb, the lack of the... The lack of desire to make the best of your current situation so you go and find another situation that suits you better. Yeah, and listen, there are instances where you're in a situation that probably, that maybe you're being treated unfairly, the coach has it out for you, there's a player in front of you that's just better than you. But it's not happening all over the place. I, I get it. Those are the exceptions, not the rules. And now, anytime that comes up, Oh, I'll just go play for another team. Oh, I'll just go play for another team. Oh, I'll just I mean, it's amazing how many people are on this team one year. Well, he left that team. He's on a new team now. Oh, he left that team. He's on a new team. Wait, what? He's on his third team now. And that's what the NBA is becoming. That's what these all sports leagues are becoming. Look at the NFL. Oh, I don't want to play in San Francisco anymore. Right? I don't want to play here anymore. I mean, it's less in the NFL because it's less the culture Growing up, I mean, there's not like AAU football to the extreme that AAU basketball and baseball are, where you could just literally be like, I'm going to start a team and I'm going to join whoever I want. I'm going to find my five buddies until one of the dads on this team bothers me so much that I'll just leave him and start a new one. We'll leave that one guy behind and start a new team. Well, and that's where, you know, a sport like football, everything's about the community you grew up in, you know. If you're somebody who grew up in, let's say, Summers Point, well, you grew up in the Summers Point Younger League, and then you went to the middle school, and then you went to Mainland Regional, you know, you know, or even if you went to Holy Spirit, it's still, like, in the immediate area, you know what I mean? Whereas basketball, like you said, these guys, well, I'm going to go play for the AAU team and travel to Texas, and then I'm going to go to this high school, which is different than where I actually live, and, you know, basketball is much more disconnected from the community. Well, and listen, the basketball thing, you ask any of the high school coaches, I mean, it has gotten completely out of control, right? You ask any of the professional players, it has gotten completely out of control. You've got, I mean, at a time you had Kobe Bryant talking about how much of a mess it was. You've had LeBron James talk about how much of a problem it is. And you are setting this up to where... That's what the mindset of the NBA player. Ben Simmons. I don't like the situation I'm in. I signed a four-year contract. I don't care. I want to go play for a new team. They treat the NBA as if it is the AAU circuit. I don't like the situation I'm in. I'll just go. I want to play for a new team now. I want somebody else to give me a free pair of sneakers. Right? I don't like this team. The sneakers they gave me were the wrong brand. So I want to go play for that team. It's essentially what's going on here. I uh, got some text messages coming in on this. 609-403-0973. Hit me up. Now, back to the Spine 97.3 ESPN. Spass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Mike Gill with you as we take you till 6 o'clock tonight. Got some text messages coming in. 609-403-0973. Mike and Marmora says, Mike, I agree with you. But Steph Curry is an exception. Yeah, but guess what? Steph Curry's won multiple championships. That's He's the exception because he gets it. That's why he's a champion. 
Now you say, well, Kyrie won a championship and so did Kevin Durant. They did. But both of them, Durant is known as like a, a ring chaser. He's not thought of as this champion, right? When we think of Kevin Durant, we don't think of the championship player first. No, we think he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. Right. Steph Curry, we think of a champion. Kyrie, we don't think of as a champion. You barely remember that he was even on that team. I'm not saying that he was an afterthought on that team. He was a very important piece of that team. But it was LeBron James's team. LeBron. Right. It was LeBron's Cavs, not Kyrie's Cavs. It was Steph's Warriors, not Durant's Warriors. Even though Durant won the two MVPs, you still kind of think of him as the guy who took the easy way out. Well, yeah, you you remember the you know the, all the guys who went over to uh, Durant's place mm-hmm. during the summer, and they were like, "Come join us." Yeah. You know, they, it, it wasn't Durant saying, "You know, come join me." Uh, Mike, it's not the 12, 13, 14-year-olds controlling it. It's the adults allowing and promoting the behavior. Yeah, I agree with that. But well, There's definitely some enablement, but at some point, you got to become an adult yourself and grow up. Yeah, but 12, 13, 14. I get what the guy's saying, and I'm agreeing with what you're saying, but here's the point, the, the point that uh, the problem is, you're right. The adults have allowed it, and it's the adults saying, hey, I don't want my kid on this team anymore, so I'm going to move it, and then another adult allowing that to happen. So in theory... You've shown a 12, 13, and 14-year-old it's okay to get your way at such an early age. Hey, you don't like this team that you're on? Ah, you know, I just don't like these kids, or I'm not getting enough playing time, or I don't like the coach. All right, we're going to go start another team. So you're, instead of saying to those kids, hey, man, you got to work harder. Maybe uh, you're not practicing well enough. Or maybe, you know, there's a kid in front of you that's just better than you right now. Right. They're just saying and allowing that to be the reason to take you off a team and move it to it. So that guy's right that the adults are allowing and proning, but they're showing the behavior to the kids that it's okay to kick and scream and get your way. Right. I just... Although, I will also add, mm-hmm. there are many times that the kid is okay with his situation. Right. And the parent is not, and they're the ones that are behind it. But again... I can just get up and leave whenever I want. And this, and it's almost, he's kind of making the point a little bit, is the parent is saying that it's okay if you're not happy to just move and leave. Yeah. And listen, there's there's a lot of, it's not just sports. There's a lot of situations that are not just sports related where people, they do things because, oh, I don't like the situation I'm in, you know. You know, it's not just a sports thing. It's an it's an environment thing. We see on social media, you know, people breaking up relationships and, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, ending business partnerships, all for the most flippant reasons possible. Uh, Mike, I don't know any billionaire how any billionaire owner can even want to invest their money in guys like Kyrie and James. Granted, they're not criminals. So in that regard, it's all good. But. Whatever happened to being a team player? Oh, that's right. Golden State has figured it out. That's another thing. Like, at what point do you say, I'm not paying you guys my money. Like, I've made all this money. I'm not giving you this money. You're not, you know, I'm not going to enable this whole uh, situation. Sure, but you got to give it to somebody. You know, it's not like the owners just can't spend I'll give it to money. Steph Curry. I'll give it to Clay Thompson. Well, they're the not world. available. Well, I'm saying I'll give it to that level of, that, that type of player. Not, those guys are hard to find. They are hard to find. That's part of the problem with all this. We, we, you and I talked about DeAndre Ayton earlier in the day. 
Look what's going on with Aiton. Aiton was drafted by the team in the state that he lives in. ESPN did that whole documentary about how, you know, his when his mom, she came to America and they were in Arizona and they went to the Wildcats and how important it was for him to be drafted by the Suns, how much he loves the city and the community and all this stuff. And now all of a sudden, it's, you don't respect me enough. I'm going to go to the Pistons to get the most money. Wait, what happened to the, the city and the community and the loyalty? No, it, these guys, as a general principle, either care about winning or the money. Yeah. It's never both. No. Uh, Mike, it's LeBron effect. Wouldn't you say he started this trend? No. I mean, there's a lot of guys who were doing some of this stuff before LeBron came along. You know, we talked about this last week, you and I did. Shaq, you know, when he left the Magic to go to the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, he had Garnett, too. To well, Garnett was traded. Yeah, but he didn't want to be in Minnesota anymore. True. We had this, uh, Charles Barkley. He got to the point in Philly. I don't want to be here anymore. The team's not good enough. They're not, you know, trying to win or they don't have the ability. I mean, this is the whole, like, the hamster wheel that the NBA is. If you're stuck in the middle, you can't get out of purgatory. The Sixers had Barkley. Barkley was the best player, but because they kept making the playoffs but they were like the 6 or 7 seed they couldn't get a player to pair with Barkley so they kept getting stuck in the middle so Barkley finally said we can't get any better so then I want to get out of here and that's the whole <laughs> rat race that you're on is well I'm on a team that I'm stuck in the middle now the problem is Brooklyn's not stuck in the middle Philadelphia necessarily wasn't stuck in the middle maybe Ben Simmons you know, viewed it, but like those examples from the '90s and the 2000s were more players on teams that, hey, I'm kind of stuck. We can't get any further, right? And I think that you know, if you want to trace it back, I think it's easy to trace it back. The guys like Shaq and Barkley, and even Moses Malone, who got his way out of Houston to go to the Sixers to win a championship. You know, I understand it's more prevalent now, and LeBron is the poster child for a lot of things, and he did it on a national show on a, on a special the decision, yeah. but he ain't the first guy to do it. Uh, Mike, isn't this what the owners do to some degree? They get rid of them when they feel they have no more use for them. I mean, I get that side of it. Like, hey, you're not... but. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's like we want to have this, like, we want to be able to fire the owner, right? Like, right. there is, somebody has to be, like, without rules, there's chaos. There has to be an adult in the room, as Brett Brown would Somebody say. has to be the person in charge. Somebody has to be the person that makes the ultimate decisions. And... Somebody is hired to make those decisions from the person who owns the team. They own the team. They hire someone to make the decisions. Once you get to that point, the decisions after that are based on either A, performance, or B, economics. So, yes, the owners to some degree do that, but that's the cycle of work. That's the cycle of life. You work at a job. If you're not performing, you get fired. 
if you work at a job and that job wants to, for whatever reason, cut salary and you make too much money and your performance doesn't warrant the money that you make, or even if it does in some extent, I just have no other way to save money or cut cut, cut my uh, salary down. That's what happens. So now we want to ping pong the ball back to the other side and say, well, since you're allowed to do that, then I want to be able to do something. I mean, do we, does it have to be an even playing field that the employee is then allowed to say, I want to fire the guy who actually gave me my job? Hey, you hired me, you paid me, but I want to fire you. Can't have it that way. So somebody has to have the upper hand in this relationship here, right? Well, there should be. But the problem is that these players, they have created this environment where they want to be like, hey, we're partners with you. We are just as important as you are in the grand scheme of the league. You know, it's, you know, in the NFL, it's the name on the front of the jersey, at the back of the jersey. In the NBA, it's the name on the back of the jersey, not the name on the front of the jersey. So the players view themselves as bigger than the league. Uh, shouldn't a player be able to move to another team if they're not happy? Isn't that what we do in the private sector when we don't like the job we're working? Yeah, but there's a huge difference between a guy who is in the – in con- if you have a contract at your job and you're locked in for five years, you can't just force your way out of that, that job because you just willy-nilly want to. No, you got to fill your contract or buy your way out or your new job has to you know negotiate your way out. Yeah, the private sector thing is just, this isn't the private sector. These guys are getting paid millions, you know? The I don't NBA like my, is a billion-dollar industry. You don't like your job, you know, <laughs> selling cars, you go to another car dealership down the street, right? I'm not happy here, I'll go there. Well, you say, I'm not happy on this team, I'll go to that team. That guy doesn't sign a four-year, $100 million deal, and then three years into the deal say, I don't want to work at this dealership anymore. I mean, you can't really compare the two. It's just different. It's very different. It's an interesting conversation, though. I mean, I, look, that's this is one of the reasons why I've never been against paying the college athletes. I think they deserve some sort of stipend. But what you got going on is just enabling this behavior when they become professionals. You reap what you sow on that. Oh, you're getting exploited. You're not getting exploited. And if you are, guess what? That's life. Part of becoming a professional is all of the work you had to do to get that job. You know? I had to pay to go to college. They don't pay me to go to college. I pay you to go to college. Why? So that when I'm done... I can get a job that pays me. That's part of it. Just because you chose to be an athlete, why do you get to get paid for the work you do in college? You want to get a stipend? I agree they deserve the stipend. I did work at the college radio station, and they gave me a stipend for it. Now, I was the only one that got the stipend because I was the sports director. Anybody else did not get paid. But the other guys were allowed to have jobs, though. Right, but my point is, many people worked at the college radio station for free as a way to get 
experience to try to get a real job. Now, you would say your college radio station isn't bringing in millions and millions of dollars. I get that. And I never said I'm against them getting paid. I think they deserved some sort of a large, a large stipend, much larger than the stipend that I got, which was $125 every two weeks. And I think that would have solved a lot of these problems. But now you've enabled this whole situation to where Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons don't want to play where they are after they sign contracts to say they do want to play where they are. We'll close it out next. Now, back to more on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. I would get ready to close up the show. Good conversation in the last hour here. Uh, that Kyrie and Kevin Durant news. Something to keep an eye on during the draft tonight. Do they get moved? Do they want out? Is that going to be something that overshadows the whole draft tonight? Is some, does a team make a trade that takes them out of the running for Kyrie and Durant? I, that's another interesting point. Do these teams now operate? differently because of the possibility that they could get one of those guys. You know what I mean? Right. Hey, we were going to make this deal, but now we might be able to get Kyrie. Does Daryl Morey even want Kyrie? I know Daryl wanted Harden. I don't know about the other guy. Well, we never heard Kyrie's name. <laughs> we never heard Kyrie until today. No. Until Woes dropped that text about 90 minutes ago. Uh, Steve Buchanan's on game night tonight. A little baseball? Yeah, I got to talk a little baseball with Steve. Yeah, Phillies lose three straight. I didn't get into any Phillies today. I'm I'm disappointed highly. Highly disappointed in the Phillies. You gotta start winning some games here, Mike. Lost three straight. Uh Wingill's Grill. Tomorrow's the day. So if you haven't entered yet, download the app. It's easy to enter. Happy do it, Friday. do it, do it. Happy hour Friday. Tomorrow at five. I'm gonna announce the winning name. If you hear your name, you win my grill. Simple as that. It's a very simple process. Yep. Grab the app, go on there, sign up. Boom, you're in. Sure is. Uh, before we go, I want to remind you about my friends over at the Caesar Sportsbook app. First things first, when you place your first bet with Caesar Sportsbook, it's risk-free, up to $1,500. Download the app and use my promo code RADIO15 and then place your first bet. If you win, congratulations. If not, your wager comes back to you as a free bet. It's that simple. You must be 21 and physically present in New Jersey. New users only. Bet amount of qualified wager return if the wager is settled as a loss. Paid as a single bet credit. Must be used within 14 days. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Caesars Sportsbook. Download it, people. Uh, who's pitching for the Phil's tonight, you know? I did no Phillies today. I'm sick of the Phillies. They made me sick these last two days. Sick to your I needed a break. You got Ranger Suarez. Okay, Ranger. Versus Joe Musgrove. All right. Musgrove is actually the best pitcher. Well, late night tonight. Well, <laughs> late night out west. Uh, I'm back tomorrow. Josh has game night next. The draft at 730 on 97.3 ESPN.